Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. I just think it's enticement. It's not rocket science. It can be done. I truly believe it can. It's wanton destruction. It's also illegal. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. All's getting nasty down in Rochestown, isn't it now? A lot of anger. And much gnashing of teeth and weeping about what's happening with that greenway. I will look into it in a little while, I promise. It's very interesting. You wouldn't know which side to come down on, and that's all I'm going to say. For now, anyway. Thank you to Fiona for yesterday. Great job, as always. Thank you so much. I had a lovely weekend, lovely long weekend. Yesterday afternoon, I was going, what am I going to watch? Where's the snooker? I had withdrawal symptoms from the snooker but I did discover and I'll tell you about it later on there's a great new show I'm always rabbiting on here about Harlan Coben and how much I love what he does but there's a new show on Netflix uh, The Innocent um, and it is mega mega so well worth a watch that's to come I'll tell you more about that later this Wednesday but I want first of all to tap into one of the most lovely events. I've attended it more than once. I've worked on it as a reporter. I've walked in it as a participant. It brought me dog along. It's just a lovely thing. And it, in normal times, draws thousands of people out at like silly o'clock on a Saturday morning in May to walk from the darkness of night into the light of the morning. And the forecast for Saturday isn't exactly the May West. So I don't know how the sunrise is going to be. But there is great hope that a lot of people will take part in Darkness Into Light, which once again for 2021 is a virtual event. There's no actual big organised gig this year, as it were, but they still want people to fundraise. Louise Cooney is the ambassador for Pieta, organising Darkness Into Light. Louise, good morning to you. Good morning, how are you? Good, it's lovely to have you on the show. It's such a massive event, it's worldwide now, and we'll talk a little bit about the history of it in a while. But for two years running now, it's kind of virtual, isn't it? 
Yeah, so last year, obviously due to COVID, we couldn't do the usual walk where you see, you know, the sea of yellow t-shirts and everyone's out together. And it's a really nice event of solidarity and they just raise so much money. And Piesha, 80% of their funding is actually from the public and only 20% is government funded. So without this kind of an event, they're really down on their funds. Um, so I suppose to do something to try and, you know, get involved anyway. And the idea this year is one sunrise together. I think we all have experienced that isolation and loneliness, you know, la- over the last year, year and a half. So I suppose just to do it and to kind of take that moment with, you know, whoever you're living with or, what, you know, just to do something and enjoy the sunrise and watch, as you said, the darkness becoming light. It's a nice reminder of kind of hopefully what we have ahead of us, you know. Mm. Tell me about the history of the event. Yeah, so, you know, it happens all over the world. You know, Ireland is kind of known for immigrating to every corner of the world. So it happens now in Sydney, in New York, in Toronto, everywhere. And um, last year was the first year now that they had to go online. And last year they actually did 52,000 hours of um, therapy over the phone. They had to increase their helpline staff hugely due to COVID because obviously, you know, you can't have face-to-face um, therapy as much as we have previously. So, um, you know, it's, it's the money they've raised in previous years has been huge. Mm. And to, to, I suppose more importantly even is the message that they send and just giving people that that hope and that's what I always got. You know, I, I'm from Limerick myself and I used to always do it with my family. We'd set off from Thoman Park and you'd see everyone you knew along the way as well. Mm. And there were candles, I remember, along the river and they just lit up and said hope. And it really was that message of, you know, there there is light at the end of the tunnel and there is options and help out there for you. And I think that's what is so great about PA is that these, are, these services are free for everyone. I remember going along to the start of it, covering it as a reporter at his a few years ago now, starting at UCC in the student building there. And I honestly could not believe the volume of people at mm-hmm. silly o'clock in the morning. It was just, it's an incredible, and the buzz that you get from being part of it. Yeah, exactly. It's just that that solidarity that like we're all coming together to honour one thing that we've all been touched by. Pieta helps people with um, suicide awareness. They help people struggling with depression. They help families who have been bereaved by suicide. And I know how much that can affect a family and how devastating it mm. is. I've experienced it firsthand. And I just think it's such a great cause and it's something that once you're touched by it or once you know anyone who's been touched by it, you really, really want to do what you can. And I think mm-hmm. that doing that that morning, it's, it's just so, it's a really nice thing to do, you know, and it's for a great Irish charity. Will you share a little bit of your own story with us, Louise? Yeah, so my um, cousin, Nikki Cooney, died um, on the 3rd of August 2019. He was only 20. Um, so it's just been absolutely heartbreaking for my family. You know, he died by suicide and think the education around suicide and just knowing the signs and seeing those signs in yourself and in other people and knowing where to go for help and all the different options that are out there for you if one thing doesn't work don't give up and it's really just trying to understand that there is hope where there is life and light and people there is hope Mm. Um, and I think just especially after the year that we've been through it's nice to remind people of that and like especially at the moment you know Saturday, we're two days off the inter-county travel, we're two days off, you know, things starting to open up again and it's just a real, there is a real sense of hope. And I know the weather isn't supposed to be the best, but look, I think if anything, over the last year we have learned to put the weather aside, get out in some fresh air, 
don't let you know things like that stop us and it's still no matter what the weather is like will be a lovely morning and to get involved in the conversation online follow people who are doing it themselves and mm. you know I, I just think it'll be a really nice thing to get involved in We've an awful habit in this country of bottling stuff up now you spent a lot of time in New York uh, Americans mm-hmm. could never be accused of that um, no, but we do need to adapt a little bit of their openness don't we yeah, I think so. Um, but I said recently to someone was like in New York, every second person I spoke to would was in therapy, and it was just a part of the normal conversation. You know, it wasn't something that you couldn't say. But I do think we're a little bit behind in that sense. But where the conversation around mental health is definitely opening up, mm. and I think the last year has been good for that. You know, you see everyone talking about it, even on the news they talk about it, and that maybe wouldn't have been the case five or ten years ago, so mm. I'm hopeful that things are going to get better and um, the services that data have provided, you know, even adapting to that online, to the virtual counselling and everything, yeah. has really helped the situation. Something that's impressed us very much here, that we've noticed rather as a team on the programme in the last 12 or 14 months is that you put mental health up there as, as a big set of letters on the side of a building and nobody wants to talk about it but Mm -hmm. if you say honestly to people do you know what this particular lockdown or this particular set of restrictions it's a bit crap and I feel a bit crap today that's the start of a a conversation and that Mm -hmm. that's kind of been it's been a revelation people have been looking at going is this our bloody lives now that's the start Mm -hmm. of a conversation that can lead to something more isn't it yeah, and I think even sending a simple message like, are you okay? You know, yeah. it could be as good for you as it is for the other person that you're messaging. Um, yeah, I think just being honest about how we're feeling and we all understand that this has not been easy for anybody, you know. Mm. So I, I think in that sense, there is a, a sense we're all in this together, you know. There is that kind of yeah. solidarity and just to re- to re find ourselves, I think, when things start to reopen again and to ease ourselves into the new life, you know. Now, now what is it you want people to do this Saturday? You need people to sign up. Yes, so you can sign up on darknessintolight.ie and it's just to get up and to watch the sunrise. You can go for a walk, you could go for a hike, or I know everyone's getting to their sea swims lately. You can do whatever you want. You can literally watch it from your bedroom window and even just get involved in the conversation online. But I think what I'm doing anyway in Dublin is I'm going to go out with my roommate and head to the beach where I know we hopefully will get a nice sunrise and my sister is going to meet us there with her boyfriend who she lives with. And, you know, it's just this nice kind of sense of doing something together in a safe way and, you know, to plan out your route in advance, go somewhere where you know it's not going to be overly crowded, but that you will be able to to do something nice and enjoy the morning. And it's something you won't forget, you know, and next year hopefully we can go out for the walk and get back to our old routines, you know. Yeah, yeah. I've been, I've been saying an awful lot to listeners over the last few weeks, in particular, as the sunrise has got better in the morning. How how great a nice sunrise is, and how you kind of say, COVID cannot take this from us, and, and the preciousness of that has really moved me. And I guess looking at a sunrise and thinking you're one of thousands watching a sunrise on Saturday, that'll mean an awful lot to people. Yeah, I know, exactly, it really is. I've done two now in the last two weeks. And it is an early start, and you will feel like jet lagged for a minute. But you know what? It's actually a nice shock to the system. And just for the views and the peace at that hour of the morning, it's yeah. so calm. And to see, you know, you, you're there with other people who are there for the same reason that you are. And it's just a really nice experience. And there's very little we can do these days, but to mm. do something a bit different is really nice. 
Uh, before I let you go, Louise, if anyone is feeling a bit low today, they can reach out to Pieta, can't they? They don't need an appointment, they don't need a, refer- a referral, just reach out. Exactly, now you can look them up online, pieta.ie, and you can text help to 51444, and they have a phone line as well, um, and as well as Darkness into Light this weekend. I think sign yourself up, do something good for for your own mental health, you know, and we do have a lot to look forward to, so I, th- I think to bear that in mind as well. Okay. Listen, Louise, thank you very much. That's Louise Cooney, the ambassador for Pieta, ahead of the virtual darkness into light. Contact Pieta on 1-800-247-247. 1-800-247-247. Or if you want to use a text, then text the word HELP to 51444. Text the word HELP to 51444 and somebody will come back to you. I'm, I'm looking at the forecast for Saturday morning on my Dark Sky, my ever-reliable Dark Sky app. It doesn't look very promising at all. Uh, the early hours of the morning will be wet in around 8 or 9 degrees. The projected sunrise for Saturday morning, the 8th of May, you'll have what they call civil twilight at 10 past 5, sunrise at 10 of 5 to 6, So I reckon the time to be at a beach or the time to be at a headland or the time to be wherever you can look at a sunrise, assuming we'll get a nice bright one, would be around about half past five. Around about half five. I was thinking myself of uh, driving down to Myrtleville or maybe down to Ballycotton to look into it and look at it. If anybody thinks I'm getting in the water that hour of the morning, uh uh-uh, not happening. But I think I might. I think I might get up and drive down. Just just watch it for uh, darkness into light. Remember that number again for Pieta. 1-800-247-247 or text the word HELP to 51444 or just pick up the phone to a friend and tell them you want to talk or reach out to anybody, a friend, uh, your doctor, a parent, anybody. Don't, just don't hold it in. If we've lost, if we've learned anything, or hopefully learned anything, in the last twelve or fourteen months, that holding it in doesn't do us any good. If if you think you're having a day, then tell someone you're having a day. They will listen. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy-made premium spread, 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork cream. The drama is sensational. That's 80. Oh, he's done it. It's an equaliser. It's stoppage time. And it's all right here. Grealish for seven. Join me, Trevor Welch, on 96FM.ie for the Premier League Live online, powered by TalkSport. Go, go. Join us Saturdays as we bring you pre-match analysis with some of the biggest names in the game. Live commentary, exclusive interviews, and don't miss the post-match breakdowns. Go, go. The Premier League Live Online. With now, only pay for the games that matter to you. Your sport on your terms. With now. Listen every Saturday on the Cork's 96FM app or see 96FM.ie. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 83 On Cork's 96FM. I was watching this story developing over 
the long weekend. Uh, in the Examiner Saturday, they reported that tensions over a proposed greenway have heightened after Cork City Council decided to route a section of the proposed Lee to Sea Greenway alongside the busy Rochestown Road rather than on the shores of the Douglas Estuary. The campaigners want the Greenway to be on the edge of the water, but there have been objections from residents whose gardens back on to the estuary. So now the decision's been made to upgrade the Rochestown Road with a separate path for the Greenway running alongside it. Now, locals represented by the Business and Residents Association Rosa, not happy with that at all uh, there had been a poll uh, I'm reading now from All English and the Examiner of yesterday there had been a poll um, over the weekend 75% of those who, who voted wanted to an overwhelming number wanted to go with the Greenway along the water's edge down there but there were issues with the houses because you've got 30 something houses facing directly onto the estuary. Houses that have been there for many, many years and and their view from their back garden is into the estuary and into the water. And and you can see, I guess, if you are a local resident down there in those houses, you can see why you might have a problem. It ratcheted itself up a bit um, over the last 24 hours and now I read in the journal this morning that the guards, the guards of Shikona, are looking into why an official Garda email account filed an objection to a planning application for the Greenway. Now, the Garda Shikona has an organisation has distanced itself from that objection. It was lodged in the name of an Garda Shikona and sent from an official Garda email address. But the Garda Shikona itself as an organisation has confirmed it has no concerns. Now that's an ongoing matter and I, I don't propose to discuss it at anything more than that just to say that there's controversy about that and the Gardaí have st- said as an organisation and as an outfit that email had nothing to do with us as an organisation. I'm going to leave that there because it's it, it's delicate but just to say that it's it's in the mix. Now Dave Farrell, you're one of the people objecting to doing it the way they now are going to do it. You, you, you want it on the waterfront, correct? Good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Um, yes, I mean, I'm not involved in any of the groups or anything. Um, I, I, like yourself, I saw the news story breaking last the end of last week, and I made a comment on Twitter that um, I'd been out cycling with my daughter, my eight-year-old daughter, and we started using the Greenway during lockdown, like a lot of other families. Mm. And when you get to Harty's Key, the, 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 the logical way to go is on the cycle path heading towards Black Rock. Um, but one of the Sundays, we decided, she asked if we'd go the other direction. And you have to start on the road, just on road. And it's just a treacherous stretch of road. Mm. Um, there's footpaths on the left only. Um, and there's, well, the day that we were there, there was cars parked on the footpath. There was cars coming in out of the driveways, as that's what happens with mm. driveways to houses. And uh, as a parent, it was I was just I had my heart and my nose with my daughter, and they said it wouldn't be it wouldn't be a route I would take. Her. Mm. Now the council yeah. have said that they will build or develop a, a separate route that will serve as the greenway, so you won't be cycling on the main road. You have to cross the main road to get on the route, regardless. You know. Mm. 
you'd probably have to do that, whether it was on the on the on the seafront or not, would you? No, I think if the the, the or the proposed route stays on the left-hand side of the road heading out towards Passage. Mm. So it's just, you, you know, if you take the other route and you head through Black Rock, you go around Black Rock Castle, you go down now by Atlantic Pond and Porky Cueve and that wonderful new park they're building mm. uh, down where the, the concerts are during the summer of the marquee. Yeah. And it's going to be absolutely stunning. Oh, it's looking brilliant. I'm, stunning. You know, even yeah. get out of your car and, and walk 100 yards long down there and see it, all the new development work. It's, it's, it's marvellous. And I, I recommend everyone to do that. Yeah. You know, and, and you get a real sense of pride in your city uh, of what we're capable of when we put our minds and, and creative thoughts together. Oh, yeah. and, you know, and so it'll be a lasting legacy yeah. for generations to come. Now, I suppose you have to, in all conscience, look at people whose houses have forever, as it were, fronted down onto the water. And, and they've, that's their garden, effectively. And the, the thoughts of having a road, effectively a, a pathway where people can walk and bring their dogs and cycle and bring their children. And I suppose if you are living there, that is passing down the end of your garden. Well, so one of the, the drawings of the proposal that I saw on, on social media was this like a, a boardwalk type, type design that will be 10 metres from the end of the gardens. Mm. You know, and the drawings looked fantastic. You know, <laughs> like the, that part of the estuary, again, it's a beautiful part of the, of the harbour. Um, to turn our back on it, like we've kind of done historically around the ports of the city, it just seems like an opportunity lost, you know. Mm. And I think for the, the people in, in the immediate local area and the greater Cork area, for them to have an amenity where they can come and they can walk a cycle in safety, enjoy mm. the beauty that the city has to offer. And then in turn, the tourism that it potentially could bring in down the years, you know, yeah. and just leave a legacy for, you know, a hundred years time where people look back and say, wow, that was a fantastic mm. idea to create for the city. Oh yeah, there's, there's no doubt about I mean, that whole area down there from the village of Rochestown down, down to Hop Island. Like, it's beautiful. And anywhere you can see the front, it's, it's it's absolutely gorgeous. But is there any other part of the proposed Lee to Sea, anywhere around the harbour that you can think of, that has 30-odd houses directly facing the seafront? Um, I can't off the top of my head. Well, I presume, you know, at Black Rock, down the marina, there's a number of houses down there that suddenly, what was a quiet road is now yeah. a very busy, you know, outdoor gym, if you want, you know. So that's a very crude way of putting it. But I know what you mean. You know, they, they, yeah. they, there's suddenly an yeah. influx of people there that weren't there before. Do you, do you think, Dave, and I know you say you don't represent anybody except yourself uh, and respect that, do, do, do you think that there will be an objection to this at, say, Board Planola level or something? That's, you know, that's above my pay grades, PJ. Yeah, but but, what but I just have say, a guess, like. What I would say, right, is that from an aesthetic standpoint, there's, it's no argument, really. If it, if it was, if it was within your pay grade, would you personally, Dave Farrell, local resident, would you like to see it appealed up the line? I would like to see a boardwalk go along the waterfront, mm. and have that section. Like it's the only pinch point on the whole route, you know. Yeah. And I just think that if if there was a bit of thought and effort and a bit of creativity brought to the table, that you could come up with a compromise. That you know that would be aesthetically beautiful, 
uh, and that would tie in with the local area, tie in with the estuary, and have something that everyone could be proud of, and that would leave a lasting legacy for you know for generations to come. Okay. All right, Dave, leave it there. Thanks very much for that. Let's go to Brendan. Brendan Delaney. Hi, Brendan. Where do you stand with this? Are you another person who wants it to go uh, down by the waterfront? Good morning. Uh, good morning, PG. And first of all, I'd like to thank you for keeping Cork informed for the last 14 months. Oh, well, my my, my great pleasure. Thank you. have been outstanding. I knew your father, Pat Hogan, Inspector Pat Hogan, very well. Ah, yeah. I, I had a lot more than sparkling water and still water with him in the Silver Key a couple of times, <laughs> and he was a great character. <laughs> Thank Thanks you for that. Him. Very kind. One of our own boy. Very kind, Brendan. So, um, like PJ, the 75% that you just referred to there was actually the 75% that stated that they wanted a coastal route in the public consultation process with the Cork Corporation. And the council, excuse me. The Twitter poll over the weekend saw 99% of 2,600 people overwhelming that wanted a coastal greenway. Yes. And I fully respect the residents in the area. I live in the area with the last 41 years. Yes. And I live further, further west, but I would allow a greenway go at the end of my garden particularly when it's a publicly owned foreshore as a wall. Yes. And the public own it. I walked on it yesterday, and I'm about six foot one, right? I could see into one garden at high tide when I walked along the back of that. Yeah. So I think it's a little bit disingenuous, but I think that the council really could design something exceptional. Like mm. if we were in Paris or San Francisco, would they be building on the road or would they be building on the water? Yeah. Oh, listen, I, I, I don't doubt that, that that would be the case. What about the, the worry that you would have? Again, you say you can't see in, so the idea of gawping into gardens, which I suppose nobody wants that either, you know, Brendan, nobody well, wants well, they're that. they're all fenced off at the yeah, moment. Yeah. All those so you can't do it. But, but the idea of maybe, what, Antisocial behaviour, people gathering late well, at night, I, drinking parties. I had a parties. conversation with a member of the Guardian Passage, and yeah. he said that one of the best developments in the area from a policing point of view was the greenway that was put in from Hop Island to Passage West. Right? Yeah. There are very, very few policing issues at all yeah. there. To right? be fair, that's true. That okay. it, that's, and that's the true. Reason, the reason for that is because of the volume of traffic on it. And even if you look the far end there where the, the big houses are there, right, where it's not, where, where it's away from the main road, right, that's a protected area. And it's still, there's no antisocial behaviour there. Yeah. So I think that, that the residents who have, a, who have expressed fair views have a fair point. But I think if they can learn from that area, which is just a continuation of the road. Yeah. A lot of people are saying, well, that, can we not just sit down and compromise now? The council have said what it wants. The, the locals well, have well, said... It, it, that, that's within the remit of the council, but unfortunately, it's a bit like a pantomime with the councillors in the area at the moment. Des Carl is the only one who has said, 
he is not in favour of it. Yeah. Ma- Mary just quote- Desmond is saying, and like, is that the Taoiseach view? She's the Taoiseach secretary. I- I'm quoting it from, from the Echo here. I have it. She said uh, that the plans are complicated and nuanced. I'm not too sure what she means by that. But she said, we would all like to walk along the water's edge, but it's not always possible. I firmly believe the end result would be a very satisfactory result for everyone. Well, I don't think so, because it does not meet the definition of a greenway, which is published by the Department of Transport. The Department of Transport says a greenway is a recreational or pedestrian corridor resolved exclusively for non-motorised journeys. So maybe Mary Rose should have spoken to her boss, Michal Merton, before she said that, because it does not meet, and that that was published by the Lille Declaration... I have, a, I have a long letter in here or a long email from the Residents and Business Association and they go into that in, in considerable detail. Look, it's something I think we'll follow with interest. Uh, Brendan, thank you very much, Brendan Delaney. Uh, and before that, Dave Farrell. We will, I've no doubt, cover this because let's face it, lads, we all know how things work. There's no one going to be moving in with a bulldozer or a digger tomorrow, nor the day after it either. And this will be thrashed out at length and we will follow it carefully over the months to come 1850-715-996 The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM With Dairy Made Premium Spread 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork Cream Cork's 96FM's Be Kind to Your Mind with GP, author and wellness expert Dr. Mark Rowe well-being initiatives in workplaces do not need to cost much money, if at all. It's really important to understand that people have very diverse needs. Everybody's different. And many people are, have been struggling through COVID. And I think a lot of that struggle has been under the surface today, but I think it's going to bubble up. And I think there's going to be a tsunami of demand for talking therapy and other supports to enable and support people to get back to being the best version of themselves. As an employer, you want to make sure that those supports are available for people in your workplace. Helping you through COVID. Helping you through COVID. Cork's 96FM. When I was going back and forth to Lanzarote over a few years on holidays, they were developing a thing called Avenida de las Playas, which when I went there first was a small little road that ran for about a mile. Now it runs practically up the entire coast of the thing. And it's a fantastic facility. But when objections were put, there were there were obviously objections were lodged at one point or another when somebody was being, you know, felt they were being uh, discombobulated by the whole thing. It was just dealt with. It's going there. Tough. That's where it's going. And because that's the best, the best place for it. And this is how we're going to do it. And that's kind of what they did. We will return to this Rochestown story because it is contentious, to say the least, it's contentious and we'll come back to it. But um, a number of years ago, I wasn't long uh, sitting permanently in this seat. I got a call to know, could we give a few minutes to the Life Centre? Because they were in severe danger of shutting down. They were stuck for cash. And they might just have to close if it wasn't for, it wasn't a whole pile of money at the time. And I knew nothing about the Life Centre. I had no clue what it was. None that ever was. 
From that day to this, I have looked upon the Life Centre as something that should be in every town and city. And if I could have one, I'd have one in every parish. And that every primary school and secondary school in the country would have a Life Centre next to it, or maybe even part of it. Now, yesterday we had Professor Anya Highland on the show talking about the benefits of alternative education. But Don O'Leary, director of said Life Centre, who over the years, he's been on the show many, many times. And they're 20 years old, and I, I wanted to catch up. Don, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. I will always remember that email coming in and saying, what is the Life Centre? And you told me. And I think I've, I've been a fan of it and a supporter of its work ever since. But tell me, what is it, Don? What is the Life Centre? Well, well, I suppose, you know, as you said, it's, we're 20 years old. We're into 20 years old. And when it, when it started, basically, it was to look at um, young people out of education or a formal education. And it didn't matter why they were out. Uh, the important thing is that we could re-engage. Um, we could put our, our, our own philosophy. We, we operate under a model. And... Um, to just give a young, young person an opportunity to succeed um, is, is what we were there for. Initially, like when I started in, in, in uh, 2016, uh, we had six students. We know 55. And it, like over the years, you know, it, it, the students have been amazing. They are amazing. Um, I mean, we have young people who would be seen to have um, serious um social anxiety, we have kids in care, kids in the justice system, kids who just didn't fit in. And it works. I mean, it works for for for, for the young people. I mean, again, not for all, but like, it, 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 when the life centre, as I say, was only for junior certs, and then a, 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 a young man that you know, um, we, we tried to get this lad back into formal education, and we failed miserably, you know, um, to do a leaving cert. So we started a pilot on the Leaving Cert and, you know, in 2008, we had our first student do it. Um, and every year it's increased. This year we have 12 young people doing the, the Leaving Cert. Um, and if you think about it this way, for, for me, the Leaving Cert and, and the education needs a radical overhaul. So, like, points to me are, are they're adding pressure to kids that are already struggling. And for, for me, there's no need to do that. Like we, should, we shouldn't be doing that with our children. And um, so, so for me, it isn't. But the drive for sitting examinations comes from the young people themselves. I suppose I'm more concerned, and, um, and, and that's, this is me, but I'm more concerned about how they are. I mean, if a young person gets six H1s in the, in the leaving cert uh, and go back into their bedroom because their, their anxiety hasn't uh, been reduced, then, then we fail. I mean, I, I would most sincerely say that, and I always say to the, the young people as well, we, we'll have failed. Mm-hmm. If that's the case, but I suppose you know it's um, the life centre is a community. Uh, it's a community of volunteer staff, uh, some paid staff, uh, uh, and these fantastic kids. And you know, I, I suppose I when when I look at um, how I, I got into the life centre and, and when I joined the life centre uh, 16 years ago, I, I never believed that I, I was going to be on this this amazing journey uh, journey with kids. Mm. Um, because when we forward. first spoke about it, Don, it, it, it was weeks from closure. It, it was, and I suppose, you know, we've always struggled, I mean, from the day it opened, you know, we've always struggled for funding. Um, 
And I suppose that continues uh, uh, to, to a degree where we're, we're probably better now, but we still have, you know, we still need to secure funding. And I suppose, look, um, f- for me, we've been very lucky with philanthropists um, who, who have, you know, in a way, taken taken a gamble and, and, and put their money where the money was and said, here. And, and you know, they, they've continued. They've, they've continued to do that over the years. Do you get anything from the department? Yeah, we do. I mean, we get we, that's gone up. Um, we get some cooperation hours, and and, and we're not getting seventy grand, you know. But but I suppose, you know, I, I suppose the, what I'm always looking for for our students above is parity of esteem. You know, um, our, our kids were, you know, it, it's a right. Education is a right for children. It's not one that we that that an adult can give or take away. It's a right, um, and everyone has a right to education. Every child in this country has a right to education. Mm. The other thing is. Like that. And we sometimes forget this. Every child has a right to play uh, and be a child. And, and sometimes uh, we, we skip all that. And, and um, I, it, 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 it will break your heart sometimes to see young people who have, you know, struggled with their mental health um, or kids in care who are in for their own protection uh, and sometimes they're looked on as if they're somehow uh, juveniles. I hate this word. Juvenile delinquents. Mm. And, um, and they're not. They're in there for their own protection. And I suppose what, what we try to create and what the young people want us to create because it's led by them is a community, a, a community of respect um, that we're all in this kind of together. Um, mm. And it's worked, it's worked really, really well. And, you know, I, I suppose... When I started, the, the centre had been already six years on the go. Sad, asked the man that, that founded the life centre, Brother Gary O'Shea. I was going to get to that, Don. It, it, yeah. It's very sad to be celebrating 20 years this week well, with, without that wonderful, wonderful man. T- tell us about him. Well, well Brother Gary retired. <laughs> uh, a kind of funny retirement. He, he'd been principal of lots of schools. But when he retired, he, he went to Trinidad and Tobago and he saw the... the um, the life centre is there in operation. And for me, um, he then did some research and brought, brought, uh, started bringing kids in for their education. I mean, you know, you couldn't find an easier going man. He was teaching maths. You know, maths for a lot of our kids, you know, when I, when I speak to them when they're coming in, um, <laughs> I, I often kind of say to them, you know, what, what are your favourite subjects or what subjects do you like? And we go to seldom is maths the favourite subject. And, and you know, I, I, I kind of pass a comment that, yeah, that's okay. The only people I know that like maths are maths teachers. But, but Gary Gary went in and did that. Um, and he, he he never left the centre as such because when when he stood down as director uh, and I came in, he, he was the deputy director. He stepped down as the deputy director and he was teaching maths and he was teaching Irish. And, you know, he, he'd climb on the roof of a Saturday to fix the tiles. He would cut down the trees and look after the garden. And he, he was just like, the, the man was so humble. Like He never looked at himself as, as, as being the boss. Although I always knew he was the boss when I joined. Um, but, but he had such a brilliant way. You know, we, we take volunteers every year. Uh, and I suppose they come from two cohorts, right? Uh, college students coming out of college and, and people that have retired. And Gary in particular, you know, made his way and it was a support to each and every volunteer that ever came into the centre. Mm-hmm. Um, and he had that way about him. And, and for me and, you know, my deputy director above at the moment, Gar- Gar- Gary was pivotal. Uh, and I suppose, you know, he had uh, interior and exterior that he, the kids really liked him. And, and, and uh, you know, you'll never get a kid 
Gary was like this show for interest. I mean, one of the students above talks about, uh, one of our female stu- ex-students talks about, she was boxing and she was at it. She was she was in a fight. I think she was dung in the commons in maybe. And she said she looked out and there Gary was staring around. And that was the kind of man he was, you know, um, to, 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 to be, you know, a true educationist, uh, a, a true children's rights uh, advocate. And for me, it's just, you know, we're keeping that legacy going, you know. Done. We've, we've had it a few times. We've had a few guests in at the times we could have guests. But I think one thing that I would say about the Life Centre, if we were to spend time going through the success stories of individual young people, we could fill not just a morning, we could fill a week with those success yeah, and, stories. And, and I think, PJ, the good thing for me here is that success is, is different for each young person and for each adult. I mean, the one of the, the highlights, and it was a highlight for me, is that one of our former students um, finished their degree course in, in college in, in UCC this year, and um, came to me in the summer of last year and said, um, I'm taking a year out, can I volunteer into the centre? Uh, and that young person is, is in their teaching match, <laughs> match them as a team. But, but on the morning that that young person started with us above, uh, to, to got their results and, and you know, uh, an honours degree in, in art, uh, a paper being published in an academic journal, and the young person is going back to, um, to do a master's next year. And, and you know, that's, that's a success. I, I mean, we've, we've had other success stories that don't necessarily uh, and shouldn't involve uh, college. Academia, yeah. Academia, it shouldn't. It shouldn't. I mean, yeah. it's, not for, it's not for every child, you know, but, but I think, you know, when you look at it, we, we've kind of made it impossible, you know, for, for kids who are only leaving cert yeah. to do things in the past where you wouldn't have even needed junior cert. Might I suggest, uh, Don, that the magic of that is that to a point or to a certain extent, every child that comes into the Life Centre is asked, well, what is it you'd like to do? Yeah, I, I think that's important. And I also think it's important, you know, I, I mean, the one thing all of our kids will have in common when they come is, is a, a, a lack of self-esteem. And so for us above, it is vitally important that, that we, we raise that. And it's very easy to do. It is absolutely the easiest thing to do. Praise is a great thing. And, you know... I know some people always say this is great, but but if you have a kid that can't that that is walking out and and and, and is not coming in the full days, I mean to be able to praise them for lasting the morning, um, it, 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 to me that's important. You know, all along the way, you get chances to praise children. We don't do it often enough. I mean, this pandemic has probably shown that. Um, we 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 kind of fail fall into this thing as oh. Uh, give out, give out, go. The best way of getting a young person or any person indeed, an adult even, is to do the journey with them, to, to, to support, not to order, not, not to, to boss, but to support. Uh, and the results from that are, are, are absolutely amazing. And I suppose, you know, for me, looking at the kids, and, and, and you know, it's a great feeling to be in the centre for any of us staff above there, any of my colleagues above there, to turn around and to be able to understand, you know, when you see former students uh, with, with lots of different paths in life coming back uh, and bring, sometimes bringing babies, and, and, and that's, that to me is, a, is amazing that, that, that they do that. And, and it shows a respect for what the centre has done.
Yeah. You know, and, and to me, you know, you, 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 I would always say to people, you know, you need, be, be careful because it can fall on anybody's doorstep. And when it falls at someone's doorstep or a child is, is, is suffering in, in, in the education system, um, you know, it, it, is a, it is a dark place for parents to be uh, yeah. because they run out of options. Every parent, every parent wants the best for their child. Yes. Um, what I want above is the best for the child and show the child that they can succeed. Okay. Um, and to me, that's the big thing, you know. And, and you've been, and you've this been, week, you've been doing that for 20 years, Don. And, and yeah, and one last thing, PJ, if I might, you know, we have a conference going on this week, and the team of the conference is children. <laughs> surprise, surprise. But, you know, we had Anya Highland in Central in Ruan yesterday. Today we're talking about trauma. Um, we've heard Tony Bates and John Lonigan mm. and, um, and, and Jim McKay from UCC. Um, we have children's rights on, on Friday um, with, with Professor Russell Kitelli, Conor O'Malley, Dracken Talk for Children, Nye Muldoon, the, um, the children's ombudsman, and Tanya Wolf from Children's Rights Alliance. And our kids are, are, are involved totally in that. They're chairing all these debates. Um, you know, we have James Leonard and Sharon Lambert uh, in our, on advocacy, uh, which is usually important uh, uh, as well, and we're celebrating on um, well, celebrating the life of of um, a friend of ours who, who passed away two years ago, Shane Griffin. Shane, yeah, we've covered his story uh, on this program, yeah. Yeah, and, and I suppose you know we, we've opened the contact centre above, you know, because there's one thing about the centre, um, and I suppose uh, sometimes I, I would take a risk <laughs> in that. You know, we're not standing still. Uh, we we shouldn't worry, but we're not standing still. We move on, and you know, I was lucky to be able to get some some funding to put a contact centre into 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 above. And a contact centre basically is, you know, you have parents out there who who, who are have to have their visits with their children suffice for lots of reasons. You know, yes. but don't don't judge. Um, what happens normally is it can be in an office or a, you know it has to be supervised. So you, you, you could be in public, but the supervising is close by. So we did above, we have a log cabin. Um, it's a front room. Um, there's a small kitchen. There are toys. Yeah. There's carpeted. There's a television. Because I always thought, like, if you're four years old and you're a child, and, and, and the memories you have of your parents is in, in an office, uh, uh, it's not a good memory. No. I hope we're going to give kids memories above. It's Don't. opened. And it's been dedicated. So thanks, PJ, for having I, I me. Hate, I hate to cut across you because I know you could talk about it all day, and so could I, but congratulations on 20 years and here's to many, many more successful years for the Cork Life Centre. There should be one in every parish. Thank you, Don. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Dairy Made Premium Spread, 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork Cream. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. 1850-715-996. Do you know that there's a lot of talk in the news about it today? Perhaps it'll come up on the show. Not today. But this affordable housing 
act and they're all fighting about it and certainly 400 grand is not an affordable price for anybody. I don't know what planet you're on if you think that affordable housing is 450,000 in Dublin or 400,000 in Cork. The fear is that because that's being set as a ceiling, it'll become a target and all the toing and froing and the politicians are just sniping at each other but we said this and you said that and I said the other and she, she said something else. Primetime was quite good about it last night but I just had my fingers in my ears going, for Jesus' sake, will someone just start building houses? So, um, unless there's anything particularly interesting in that for you, uh, we might just let it there. But it did bring something to mind, um, just chatting about it in, in, in the office. Do you know something? We were talking about education and different kinds of education, and Don O'Leary was about education the Life Centre. Do you know something that they never tell you in school, at least they didn't in my time, was these kind of life decisions that you have to make, these kind of important things that you'll have to make in your life, like making a large purchase, like a house. Like, at no point in, in my schooling, and certainly I don't think in my children's schooling either, but at no point was that ever touched upon. You know, how do you go about buying a house? How do you go about getting a mortgage? How do you go about doing all these things? And, like, there's no understanding because people go in, you come out of your schooling and you get a job or you complete your education and then you're faced with trying to save for a house, buy a house, rent a house and you just really have no idea. You have no idea what to do because you weren't taught. They do teach it in some parts of the world. Argentina, I think. Uh, um, it's kind of a, a making big decisions element of their schooling in that it's kind of a life skills element of their schooling in Argentina where they, they, they certain things are around the school curriculum not whole sort of big long uh, subjects that carry on for years but they're just modules where now we're going to learn how to buy a house and we're going to learn how to understand our taxes and our pay and pay slips and all that kind of thing I'm just thinking, is there any kind of a skill that, that you think should be taught in school that isn't? Is there anything that when you left school and tried to get on in the real world, you said, I wish they taught me this in school. I wish we'd done something about this in school. Could it have been buying a house, applying for a mortgage, all that? Could it have been? Have a think. Let me know. 083 396 96 96. Because don't tell me it can't be done. They do it in some countries. Like that in Argentina now. They, they have a whole sort of a uh, making big decisions modules in, in schools. That's roughly what the name translates into, by the way. That's kind of... We shall move on and come back to that. 083 396 96 96 if there's anything that, that comes to mind. Ofcom in the UK issued a report recently on the behaviour of children and how children consume uh, their television and consume their content and what do they enjoy. And it came up with a couple of interesting findings, one being that they have almost entirely given up on traditional television, as in they prefer to watch it on YouTube, where they can watch loads and loads and loads of episodes. And they spend a lot of time watching stuff, a lot of time playing games, a lot of time consuming their experience of the world online. 
Now, I guess in the pandemic, they've kind of had little choice, been locked up in their houses for weeks and months on end. But YouTube, Netflix is huge for them. Uh, that is where they're getting most of their of their stuff now, most of their content. And YouTube, as you well know, if you scan through it, you can find anything on YouTube. A lot of it is great. A lot of YouTube, brilliant. There's old stuff from the 70s and 80s and old television shows on YouTube from donkeys years ago. They're great. And there's pretty much anything you want to do DIY-wise, you can find a video on YouTube. God knows I've done it. But there's also stuff out there that you wouldn't want your children to be watching. But should they be getting their education, so much of their education from stuff like YouTube and things like YouTube? Should they not be reading? Should they not be consuming their information in more traditional ways than just online content? And Do we know what it is they're actually watching? Who is monitoring what they're watching? Who is monitoring that content as in how is it being prepared and presented to them? They love pranks for example. Everyone loves pranks but some of the stuff online prank-wise is very violent and you wonder if young children should be watching it at all. Lorraine Levis is an account executive for Penguin Random House Children's Books and writes a column in the Irish Times and has been thinking about this uh, Ofcom information. Lorraine, good morning to you. Good morning, Paisley. I thank you for having me on. Delighted. The, the number, the, the ways that children now consume pretty much everything from their television to what they learn about life, it's, it's all online streaming or for the most part online streaming. Does that worry you? See, it's an interesting one because I found in my own personal life that most of my education and the content that I consume is online as well. And even to the detriment of my reading, um, I'm ashamed to say in a lot of ways. But I think at the end of the day, children have a very sort of monkey see, monkey do kind of an attitude. They see how we engage with things online um, and they see how their peers are engaging online. And at the end of the day, their world has become partially online and as you say especially with the pandemic I think that's become even more important but also ingrained so whether or not I'd be worried I think more education for everyone is needed before we need to get worried but I think it's definitely a complicated issue. Mm. One thing in the Ofcom report was that they don't even children who are old enough to watch the news don't. Mm. I find that the, there's a lot of news really actually good news channels to be found online and on YouTube. But I think it's finding it is, is the important thing. There's so much, especially with YouTube, TikTok, a lot of the online players, there's a lot of passive media. It's quick. You know, you're looking at something for 30 seconds max and then you're finding the next hit of something else. And finding news through that can be difficult. Um, it is there. And to be honest, you'll find that a lot of people prefer finding their news online because they feel like there's less of a bias but conversely, there are obviously people that have even more of a bias than your t- traditional terrestrial channels. And mm. so there's definitely a mix to be had there. Mm. One of the criticisms that's often leveled against, uh, I hate the term, mainstream media, which is the kind of conversation we're having right now, we'd be considered mainstream media, is that mainstream media decides what it thinks its audience should see or hear. Whereas when you go out there into the huge online space, you can, as they say, do your own research. That has both good and bad elements to it. Absolutely, because you don't know where they're getting their evidence. 
um, at the end of the day, they can claim that they are the moniker of free speech and that they're not being held to any sort of a standard. But sure, if you're not held to a standard, you know, you don't know what kind of information you're getting, what kind of research is coming from the people that are giving you this information online. Um, and so when it comes to the likes of the mainstream media, at least they're held to some sort of, you know, journalistic standard, which is always, you know, to be, you know, it, it needs to happen at yeah, the end of the day. Verifiable stuff. Yeah. Absolutely. And there needs to be a list somewhere for young people so that they know they have those skills uh, so that they're able to engage with media critically. I think that's something, as you were saying a moment ago, with you know things that they need to teach in school. I think that's something that needs to be focused on when it comes to parents and educators. And mm. I think it is, Mark, to a certain extent, is you know, how are we engaging with content online? How are we being critical of it? So that our kids are going into that online world, which they're going to get to whether we like it or not, oh, yeah. but they have the skills to deal with it. Mm. The, the thing as well, too, and is, okay, YouTube is vast, as we know, and so too is something like, like TikTok, uh, TikTok and the new one, Twitch. They're vast platforms. You can find loads and loads of useful stuff on them all. But there's a lot of stuff that you'd prefer your children were not watching. And when they've locked themselves in, well, not locked themselves, but when the bedroom door is closed and they're in there with the, with the tablet or the phone or the laptop and you think they're watching a cartoon or you think they're watching a movie, God knows what else they can be finding and you've no control over it. Yeah, and I think that's very worrying, especially for adults who aren't necessarily hugely online because it is an area that you know, they don't understand and, and it's absolutely something to be worried about. The sort of way I look at it is that, you know yourself, growing up, you're socialising in a load of different ways and there's going to be a child on the playground that has come across something that they probably shouldn't have and the first thing they do is they tell all their friends about it. You know, most of our education when it comes to adult things is done on the playground by someone who's found out something that it's the biggest gossip that you can imagine. Um, it, in a lot of ways, online has a similar situation but probably heightened in that there's so much coming at you so quickly but in both situations how to deal with it is the same it's educating your children so that they know how to deal with stuff that maybe they shouldn't be encountering so young but Mm. also having a relationship that they know that they can come to you to say look I've encountered this I don't know what it is Mm. so that they go to you instead of going to Google which is a thing that could be extremely worrying because goodness knows as you know yourself, you could have a headache and you go and Google it and your next thing you should be in A&E. <laughs> this is very true. You know, <laughs> for parents who would be concerned, Lorraine, um, because this is, the, this is the world in which their children are growing up now, whether they like it or not, they're going to get their information online, far more of it perhaps than we would like them to get. So how can we work with them in a way that they won't find intrusive? They won't find to be mum and dad interfering. Mm. But they, they see the benefits of us actually giving a damn. I think the biggest thing is to do your research. Um, like there's, there is an inclination in the way that we take in our media. Of You see a headline. And I remember there was a, a huge thing that happened a few years ago where there was reports about this video that was going around a load of kids. Uh, media, and if you go onto kids' YouTube, this video of this character was going to come up and terrify them, and they were going to see horrendous things. And it turned out that actually it was all false. But 
because it was headlines and it was feeding off of parents' insecurity, they took it as fact. And I saw it myself in, in our own family that it went it was doing the rounds. And I think the biggest thing we can do is do our research. In the same way that children should be knowing how to deal with media, we need to understand how the online wor- world works mm. too. So whenever you do a Google search, try and find media outlets that are even designed for younger people so that you can understand what they're encountering rather than what, what other adults mm. reckon the kids should be looking at. The answer to the question that's commonly asked is, how do I know what they're looking at? How can I, that's, it's your job. Exactly, look at it yourself. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Lorraine, good to talk to you. Thank you very much. They are consuming in vast amounts of online content and it's the job of parents to make sure that you know what they're looking at. Um, Mag says, whatever about the online pranks, what drives me bananas is the American accents that some kids have developed, oh yeah, as a result of watching it. Thankfully, there's no mistaking where my gang are from. Yeah, yeah, it's the actually, you know that, that kind of Oh, come here, traffic lights are out all over the city. KC is uh, out and about, she says, on McCourton Street they're out, on the Elysian by the South Link, and lots of drivers not sure who should have the right of way, so take extra care. Simon Murdoch was on to say lights are out at Parnell Place at the junction with South Mall and also at the bus station on Merchants Quay. Sounds like a major outage in our traffic light system in the city. That'd be worrying now, so it would. 1857 The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy-made premium spread, 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork cream. We've been talking over the, the past weeks and months about toilet facilities around the lock and recently a gate was erected by Cork City Council around Lockview Terrace that's closed at various times to literally prevent people using it as a toilet as they leave the lock area after being down there. And now the residents of Valentine Villas, another nearby area, have called for toilet facilities around the block because they say that members of the public are using their cul-de-sac as a public toilet. They're pestered, they say, by people using it as a public toilet. Councillor Mick Finn represents the area. Mick, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. This is a problem. The, the lock, particularly during the 5K, when we had nowhere else to go, a lot of people went and got around, gathered around the lock. Um, but, of course, there are not enough toilets to to accommodate people, and they started using the local the local laneways, which they shouldn't be doing. Well, tell me a bit more about uh, Valentine Villas. Yeah, look, I suppose, um, you know, it was always going to be a situation where we solve a problem in one area, which, as you mentioned, is at the end of Lockview Terrace, which was gated and it's controlled, you know, between certain hours. Uh, and the fear was, and even when we met with the ward councillors and officials, the fear was then that it would move elsewhere. So what has happened um, is that because, no, um, you know, if there are large gatherings there, um, you know, after 4, 30 when the gate is, is locked, um, people are tending to use Valentine Villas, Lock Park and Lock Villas up the road, which is just off Lock Road, um, as, you know, their kind of toileting area, which obviously is not acceptable to anyone. Um, as acceptable to the residents. And it's I an offence to we in public, Mick, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And I, I know that Gardaí have been kind of clamping down on that in the city, in the city centre, and particularly last Saturday evening was very busy. Uh, and I understand that the Gardaí were clamping down on that. But, you know, it, it, it is a big concern for people. Um, I got a call from a person one day returning from town with her kids in the car. Um, and 
she said there was somebody urinating out in the middle of their of their roadway into Valentine Villas. You know, and that's that's just not acceptable. Um, you know, so then the, the next question then is what can be done about it? Mm. Um, so we're looking at giving those um, areas kind of temporary barrier measures like they have near Party Cueve. But again, that doesn't solve the problem of the toileting issue. No. Uh, Knocking off the entrance just means they look for somewhere else to go to the toilet. Yeah, if you port the problem on. Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, that has been suggested, and, and the councillors um, have asked for that, not just in the in the law area, but uh, in in other areas of the city. While air, you know, while places are closed and people can't use toilets, we say in cafes and hotels and bars. We've asked for that, and and we're due to get a, um, a kind of a report on that. We've asked for that to be implemented for the summer, yeah. um, because you know places will still be closed down. Now, I, again, the, the kind of the pros and cons of it. We've been told by the officials in the lock that if you do that. Um, you know that you're maybe you're creating more of a problem than actually solving it How? Um, because you have people maybe staying there longer the people still drinking there which is not allowed either um, and that's up to the Gardaí to enforce that um, mm. you know that people would actually yeah, we, we, it's another thing we should forget not only is it, is it a crime or an offence rather to, to we in a public place you also shouldn't really be down the lock with a bag of cans it's not supposed no, to happen. No, that's not supposed to happen. And then look, I mean, I've been in touch with with senior guardian Cork about this, about you know monitoring it, and they are doing it, and they're trying to police it by consent, which is the you know rather than going in there and you know having large numbers of guardian going in and and uh, and, and doing it on a, on a constant basis, they just wouldn't have the resources. Because they have the power so. to seize the cans. They have, they have the power to, and they've done that, um, and they have been doing that over the last number of weeks. But again, it's going to be a bit sporadic. I mean, there are other policing issues in the city as well, mm. and they can, you know, locate people there all the time. But we have asked now again, uh, and it looks like it's going to come before us before the summer um, to increase the or increase the strength that the guardian might have under the bylaws, whereas we can maybe double the fines uh, and make it, you know, make it a, a kind of a pain in the pocket if people are doing this in an area, you know, which is a family area. It's, mm. You know, it's a great area of recreation, and it shouldn't be taken over to be a drinking spot for people. Okay, leave, leave it there. We'll follow it on with the council as we uh, move through the, the summer months. That's uh, Councillor Mick Finn. So they've got the lock view terrace blocked off with the gate. I've seen it. Uh, it's closed at half four in the day. It's a bit of a pain in the arse because if you live there and you want to walk the dog, instead of just going down the end of the lane, you have to go all the way around and out another way. I'm not too sure if they actually gave one of the residents a key. I know that from just the talk down there was that they wanted that. I don't know whether they got it. Now you have Valentine Villas being used as as a public jacks by people who have been drinking down around the lock. And again, they'll want to block that off. But when you block that off, where else does the problem go? Where else? Do, and no matter what, where does it go? And you put in Portaloos, but as Mick says, the expert viewer, the response is, well, if we put in Portaloos, it just draws more people. How do you win this one? I'm not too sure that you can. 1850-715-996. We're asking you for the kind of thing that you weren't taught in school, but you wish you had. And whether you wish now, in your mature years, as in when you're settled with your own house and your own family, whether you wish you were taught now, or whether the minute you left school you realised, they never taught me this in school. I never learned this in school. Help, I should have been taught this in school. Like I've been saying for years, years, every student should be doing home economics. Every student. Boys and girls. Because you come out of school, I couldn't boil an egg when I left school. I'm still 
struggle sometimes. But little things like home economics and how to do all that kind of thing. You know, they're, they're little, 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 simple, simple life skills. Like uh, Carla says, any aspect of parenting, it comes as a massive shock. I know it's covered to a certain extent by social health and well-being programs, but then it's kind of pseudo-religious. Oh, don't even go down that road. Mind you, the best advice you can ever give anybody who's about to become a parent. And I remember it myself from when I did. You know, they, they placed the little bundle, the little swaddle in your arms and it's a happy moment and it's a joyous moment for you and the partner or whatever. Well, the one thing I looked for that wasn't there and it isn't there and they don't come with it and no matter how much you give out about it they never come it's a bleeding instruction book they don't <laughs> but I take your point about school 1850 715 996 can we just talk the opinion line on Cork's 96 FM with dairy made premium spread 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork cream access all areas on Cork's 96 FM your guide to nightlife on the Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's Entertainment. Cork Midsummer Festival sees the launch of Cork Dance Initiative with their debut event, In It For The Long Run. It features bite-sized dance events, both in person and virtual, to celebrate and connect through dance in Cork. Further details are available at corkmidsummer.com. Access all areas. Imelda May has announced Irish dates for her Made To Love tour in support of her highly anticipated new album, 11 Past The Hour. Imelda returns to Cork in 2022 to play two shows at Cork Opera on the 9th and 10th of May. Access All Areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a rescheduled show coming up or any live streaming events by emailing us here at aaa at 96fm.ie. Access All Areas. Your guide to nightlife on the side. On Cork's 96FM. Joined by Lainey Sands. Lainey, good morning to you. Hello, PJ. How are you keeping? Great altogether, thank you. You are running in a sumo wrestler suit. Yeah. Not easy at the best of times. Oh, you... absolutely not. You're sweating buckets. But you're doing it for a good cause. Yeah. So a few of my um, friends from criminology and I decided for the month of April we were going to do a bit of fundraising for the Sexual Violence Centre in Cork to awareness and vital funds because obviously the, the rise in violence and what has been termed the shadow pandemic. So over the month of April, we've been running around like absolute dopes around Cork City. People have definitely seen us, but um, we've really enjoyed every minute of it, and it's been really, really worth it. These are the kind of sumo suits that you'd see sometimes at a fun fair. You get into them and you do pretend sumo wrestling. I've been in them once or twice um, in my lighter moments. They're bloody hot inside. Oh, my God, the hottest things ever. As I said, you would be sweating buckets, but sure, look... I mean, it really, really is worth it. And, um, you know, I think we really want to highlight the Violence Centre and the wonderful, wonderful work that they do. And uh, we've we've had really, really positive feedback. And I think the, the amount of donations that we've received just goes to show how much of a widespread issue this is yeah. and how it affects everyone, if you get what I mean. Oh, yeah. I mean, the more people we talk to, and uh, I, only a few... Weeks ago, I spoke to someone around your own age. You're in your early 20s. Someone yeah. around, uh, a, a woman called Holly. It was in the wake of the Sarah Everard uh, yes. case in Britain. And she, she just told me a simple thing like th- 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 walking home at night and someone like me is out for their walk as well. Yeah. The sheer sound of a footstep 20 yards behind 
and they get fearful and nervous. Yeah. It's absolutely terrifying. And I think what we're trying to do as well is kind of change attitudes. And like, I think the last week we were running, um, we were kind of with horrible behaviour in that we ourselves were catcalled. And really? I think one of, the girls, one of the girls was slapped on the ass. And I think we just wanted to show like that no matter what you're wearing, you can still be met with this unsolicited behaviour. Right. So, I mean, and as well, it's trying to stamp out that mentality of, oh, I can get away with it. It's harmless because at the end of the day, it's not harmless. And this mentality can go on to uh, engage in other acts of sexual violence. So, I mean, our, our, our focus kind of shifted towards the end um, mm. for overall sexual violence. But we really, really enjoyed the run so far. And I think we've gotten up to something like 1,900. So we're just trying to the line now with 2,000. Right, you're, you're looking to, to run how long how, or how far? So we set our target as 50 kilometres, but I think we're going to actually try and just get to the 60 kilometres. So that's running in the suits, um, which hasn't been an easy task, but as I said, it's worth it. Right. Um, so, yeah, I think we're going to do one more big run, and um, if anyone would like to support us, uh, the link is in my bio on my Instagram page, Lainey Sands, and it would be great, I'm sure. Great. You know, well, we've, we've shared the fundraiser link on Twitter, and hopefully oh, that will help you to get past your 2K target. And you never know, you might go further than that. Absolutely. It would be absolutely brilliant if we could. All right, Lainey, thank you. Good talking to you today. That's Lainey Sands. If you see people going around in big inflatable sumo suits, running and sweating buckets inside it, it's for a very good cause. We've shared the details on our social. 1850-715-996. Just a, a few more of those things that you you might like to have been taught in school, but you weren't. Hi, lads. Life skills should be taught in early school. Uh, like simple things like how to breathe, how to relax, how to how to deal with stress. And also the notion that if you can see it, you can be it. Was it Tara Shine? I, it was Tara Shine I was speaking to back in March. I was speaking to me about the importance of that. If you can see it, you can be it. The idea being that if you don't see somebody like you doing the job that you want to do, you don't think that you can do it. Very big among young women. Uh, Tara being you know, a scientist and all that. When she was little, she, she didn't see too many women in the job that she now does. And it's a, it's a, a hurdle. I like that one. If you can see it, you can be it. Driving. Life skills should definitely be taught in secondary school for sure. I remember back in my own primary school, we did cycling. We learned how to cycle uh, the playground was all done up in this sort of a pattern of lanes and stop signs and we learned how to cycle and it was very, very useful. <laughs> how to stop a baby crying or at least have a decent chance of doing it. Anything to do with mortgages, says Denise on Facebook. I literally don't know what a tracker mortgage is. Oh, I know. Denise, I was one of those. I was one of those people, so I know exactly what you mean. 1850-71599 says, keep them coming. Something that you wish you'd been taught in school. That you found a big gap in your knowledge when you went out into the big bad world to try and be an adult. Something that you'd love to have learnt in school. Talking about if you can't see it, you can't be it. And, and getting into a job, seeing someone doing that job means that you 
believe you can do that job. Nicole Kyohan, when, when, who was your inspiration in wanting to become a farmer? Good morning. Hi, PJ. How are you going? Good to talk to you. Um, yeah, so I guess my story is a bit different to, to a lot of people. Um, I, I would have grown up in, in Kinsale in the town and my grandparents are dairy farmers. Um, and I would have started farming with them on the weekends and things. And, and my grandmother especially would have been a big role model to me. <laughs> so um, I really, really followed down the same path as her. Yeah, you went off down to WIT in Waterford to study agricultural science. Yes, one of the best decisions I think I've ever made. <laughs> um, I, I would have done um, agricultural science there for my leaving search when I went into fifth year. Um, I would have been getting on all right in school up until then, but I, I really found my passion. Um, it was one of the things I excelled at academically. Mm. Um, so going, going and, and continuing that on into third level was a no-brainer. Mm. Farming is not something that one would think you'd go to college to learn. No, a lot of people, um, there, there can be a misconception when it comes to the education around farmers, um, but it is quite a, a restrictive career in, in, in the ways that you're governed. Um, so like anyone that, that is pursuing farming has to do two years in college, whether that be a university, an IT um, or an ag college, a minimum, um, to, to be eligible to work with animals and make a career of it. Mm. Um, because we have to have degrees and certificates in it. Really, to get into it now, you have to have qualifications, yeah? Yeah, so it's called a green cert. Um, you have to do two years in an agricultural college um, to, to be able to, to own animals. Right, that's, that's, a, that's a change. I mean, that's not the world your, your grandmother grew up in, is it? No, not initially. Um, now, my grandmother would have done her green cert as well. Um, in, in order to have a herd number, you have to have it. Um, so, you know, most people have gone through it. I think there is a misconception there surrounding it. Um, but it is great for young farmers as well, you know, to get to college for two years and, and to make new friends, connections and to, to become aware of more sustainable ways to farm is the mm. big one at the moment. There you go. That is just where I was going to go with you next. Like farming, it has also changed in yes. how you do it. Absolutely, absolutely. Look, and, and one of the main driving forces for that as well is farmers on the ground, you know, um, if you talk to 95% of farmers, I talk to farmers every day with my job off the farm as well. They're always looking for more sustainable ways to do to do things because they're looking at their children and they're mm. looking at their grandchildren and they want the farm to be there and, and to still be profitable for them. Nicole, if I, was, if I was to ask you this question, and it's not a smart question, what, what, do you, what, is, your, what is your belief or what do you think sustainable means? So, uh, with sustainable, um, I'd be more focused on regenerative agriculture, which is where instead of maintaining the ground, right, so we're just giving back what we take, you're actually improving it. So, there's a lot of stuff goes on with that at the moment. Um, look, in particular, the main thing the farmers are looking at now, and it has to be done, is reducing nitrogen. Um, because it can affect water quality. So there's a lot of farmers now, let's say, it might be a bit technical, um, but basically, you know, they're increasing grasses, different types of grasses where mm. you're having to spread less nitrogen. So right. you're actually improving soil structure right. instead of maintaining it. And so you're trying to make it better than you got it in. So this is where the going to college and learning the science comes in. Yes, 
absolutely. And of course, we should not forget that you got a major award for your final year project at WIT. Yes, yes, I, I, I was very lucky to be awarded that. Um, in what my was the project year. on? Um, so I focused on antimicrobial resistance um, in the dairy industry, so so the use of antibiotics and how we can cut that down. Um, and, and I got brilliant, brilliant results. You know, I, I got better results then with the use of antibiotics. Um, so, you know, it, it was brilliant results and it's actually a topic that I'll be investigating further now right. from September onwards. I'll be starting a PhD in it. Oh, well done. So you are you are working as a sales advisor with an animal an animal company and an animal health company, but farming at the same time. Is, is this it? Is this the career at 23? You've decided this is it? Yeah, so I guess the sales was kind of an in, um, an intermittent thing. Um, well, so you need to keep a bob in the pocket, don't you? Correct, absolutely. <laughs> Fund the lifestyle that's a bit non-existent at the moment. Um, but the company that I do work with, AHB, um, they're a brilliant, brilliant company. And, and, you know, they are sponsoring the PhD for me. Um, so, you know, it was a thing where, you know, they've employed me through sales in the meantime um, while we were waiting for the PhD to go through. Um, so now from September, we'll be full steam ahead and there'll be a lot, a lot of research going on in the background, which is brilliant. Well, good luck to you. Good luck to you. And it's a big career ahead. And it's great to see young people getting into farming because it's our biggest industry, agriculture. Agriculture and tourism, I suppose, are two biggest industries. Great to see uh, young uh, Nicole Kilhan from uh, West Cork. Thank you, Nicole, and congratulations on the success so far. No doubt plenty more to come in the future. 1850-715-996. You know the way you know someone isn't well? but you kind of weren't expecting them to go. That's kind of what happened. Straight out to McLaughlin! It's there! Alan McLaughlin has done it! First goal, and obviously the most important goal. Uh, that one's for me, my wife and my little girl at home, Abby. And obviously for all the supporters here tonight, all the people in the bars and in the clubs back in Ireland, uh, that, that was for them. Trevor Welch, where were you that night when he scored the goal in the north? Yeah, um... I was watching it on television and uh, I remember how, you know, the, the atmosphere was uh, certainly intimidating when Ireland went up to play that uh, crucial qualifier. And, uh, you know, we were up against it, obviously, goal down uh, Peach and, um, you know, we had to do something and Jack Charrington decided to give Alan McLaughlin a goal and uh, he was a renowned goal scorer. In fact, he never scored for Ireland before that night and Tony Cascarin, I think, was, was uh, hoping he'd come on and try and get Ireland back into it. But uh, he brought off Ray Houghton, brought on Alan McLaughlin. Mm. Uh, the ball uh, arrived at his foot and bang. Oh, a wall couldn't have stopped it. And, and, and the rest is history, as yeah. the fellow says. Yeah. You know, I think Ray Houghton, to be fair, who he replaced that night, summed up um, in a tribute to him very well this morning, Page, when he said that football sometimes throws up a special moment for a special person to do something magical. And that will be a night, certainly, that, uh, you know, his contribution will never be forgotten by Irish football supporters. Alan McLaughlin was only 54, Trev. What happened to him? Yeah, he... Um I think he had um, kidney tumour back in 2012, I think around nine years ago. And, um, you know, he got cancerous and, you know, unfortunately he he fought a brave battle, but uh, it got him in the end. And, uh, you know, he leaves behind his wife and two daughters. And, you know, you could tell by the outpouring in social media, Peach, uh, since his passing, you know, how respected he was, you know, the outpouring social media and radio, TV and newspapers. You know, I didn't know him personally, but uh, I did meet him. I met him a couple of times during awards back uh, back in 
you know, in the 90s uh, in Dublin. But uh, by all accounts, a lovely fellow, very insightful on football, but as a coach when he went into coaching and uh, with our colleagues in Talk Sport, he was very good co-commentator, uh, really insightful on the game. And, uh, you know, he's a huge loss. I, you know, mm-hmm. I see fellas tweeting there from BBC as well, his contribution for, for their radio work. But, uh, you know, he was, mm-hmm. he was a very popular fellow. You know, uh, as we mentioned, he'd also remember, Peach, for that goal in Belfast in November 93, which, of course, set us uh, to the World Cup. He opened the door for the Irish to party in the USA. Yeah. You know, as I mentioned, you know, he replaced uh, Ray Houghton that night. And, um, you know, on, only for that goal, Ray Houghton would have never got that famous goal. From Giant Stadium. Yes. In the Giant Stadium in New Jersey with thousands and thousands of Irish fans, including myself, was there behind the goal that night in the Giant Stadium page. Mm. We cherish those memories forever and ever because of that great man, Alan McLaughlin. There's a lot of talk about Jack lately and that beautiful documentary that's Finding Jack Charlton, heartbreaking documentary. But McLaughlin was one of these young lads that Jack just took a punt on like, like Jack did. Yeah, he did. He was part of uh, that great golden era, of course, for Jack Charlton. And, uh, you know, he played in midfield, Peach, and we were, of course, blessed with midfielders that time. We had Roy, Ray Houghton, Annie Townsend, Sheedy, Ronnie Whelan, John Sheridan. So he's up against it in terms of getting a start. He, a lot of his caps came on as a sub, but he was certainly a huge part of Jack's squad because, uh, you know, he came on in uh, big games in the World Cup in 1990 against England and against Egypt. He was born in Manchester, went to the same school as Noel Gallagher, but he points out that he's very proud of his Irish back his mum was from Limerick, his dad was near Galway and uh, he points out that he never had to make any excuse about this granny rule that his roots are in Ireland he got you know, a chance to play for England and Ireland in the post the same day, believe it or not that he got a call up for England he got the call up for Ireland the same day and he's, the story is he said to his mother I got a call up for England and she says, um, trilfy, you know and then he says, I'm after getting a call up for Ireland and he could hear the croak in her voice and uh, she said, I'm so proud of you and that's was the decision he said I'm playing for Ireland because his mother cycled through the rain in Manchester to see him play football as a kid and she said he said that's it I'm going to wear the green for Ireland and you know you look at it as well Peach like Cork's finest Roy Keane and Dennis Irwin would have never played in the one and only World Cup but for that goal by McLaughlin as well you know Yeah and and, and that is of course the thing that goal opened for people who would be younger listeners who would mightn't remember it that goal got the draw which meant that the other result on the night Kind of didn't matter. We were going anyway when we got something out of Windsor Park. That goal opened doors to such such a party as the USA was. Yeah, it was incredible. I got, you know, I was there, thankfully. And, um, you know, I never forget, especially in the Giant Stadium, when Paul McGrath described it as the green bouncy castle when he looked up <laughs> to the crowd. Yeah. And, you know, because Italy were supposed to outnumber us because, you know, the number of uh, Italians in, in America, especially around New York, but, uh, I mean, we outnumbered them three to one. And, you know, you'd, you'd hear all the Irish players I interviewed down the years would always talk about that special night in the Giant Stadium. And that never came about only for that goal in Windsor Park. And, uh, you know, that goes down in uh, Irish football folklore. You know, it was only our second World Cup, yeah. obviously. Uh, we were there in 1990 in Italy and then 94 USA was absolutely magic and the Irish took over Manhattan that night you know mm. in New York I remember taxis flying past me with uh, fellas hiring old cars Irish fans hiring cars with the green white and gold out the yeah. window but you know we'll remember McLaughlin forever the boot of Alan McLaughlin was the one that brought us there thank you very much Trevor thank you the, the late Alan McLaughlin 54 years of age too young way way too young um, never met him never met him in my life but but that he would go down in history for many other things he was Club career with Swindon and Portsmouth and 
many, many more things, but he will be remembered by Irish soccer fans forever for that wonderful, wonderful goal. And speaking of Trevor, and speaking to Trevor, uh, he's on 96M.ie this weekend once again with the Premier League, powered by Talk Sport. Exclusive live coverage. Leeds against Tottenham at 12.30. Sheffield United v Crystal Palace at 3. Man City versus Chelsea at 5.30. And Liverpool against Southampton at 8.15. It's the Premier League Live online with now. Stream live Premier League action with a now sports or sports extra membership. And then listen Saturday on 96fm.ie or the Cork's 96fm app. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. A lot of people complaining about the weather and it hasn't been great over the last few days, particularly over the bank holiday weekend, couldn't kind of decide what it wanted to do, and it was cold, even though the sunshine was there. And people saying it's unusually cold for early May. Strangely enough, it's not, actually. Uh, the wonderful Dark Sky app that I keep going on about, I know I'm boring the pants off you with it, but you can go back to any particular day uh, of any particular year and look at it. So looking from this day last year, uh, it was pouring rain this time last year and the temperature was struggling to make 9 degrees and let us go back to the last really nice summer we had which was uh, 2018 do you remember 2018 a beautiful summer the 5th of May back then it was only alright it was cloudy and we might get up to 13 or 14 and go back to the real scorch that we had back in 2013 with an absolute screamer of a summer back in 2013 Mediterranean type summer 5th of May back then well that was a bit better now that was 13 or 14 degrees but still mostly cloudy so not not particularly cold weather for the time of year regardless of what people might be telling you but we still wanted to improve anyway loads more of your suggestions coming in of the kind of things you should have been taught in school but weren't uh, keep them coming at 083 396 96 96 I'll read out a few more in a minute now this shooting star shower that comes up every year around this time I want to look into it a little bit more because it's connected to a thing called Halley's Comet now Halley's Comet is one of the most spectacular things in the sky but it only we can only ever see Halley's Comet I think it's a once, once in a lifetime but for some reason, it affects us around this time every year. Maybe David Moore from Astronomy Ireland can clarify. David, am I right? Halley's Comet, we never actually see it except maybe once in a lifetime, but it affects us this time every year. Good morning to you. Good morning, yes, indeed. Comet happens to come around roughly once every human lifetime. So last time was 1986, and it won't be back again till the year 2061. Mm. Uh, so there are lots of other comets that'll be around. We had a comet brighter than Halley's Comet last July, for instance. We had spectacular views of it. Uh, we flooded our magazine <laughs> with it mm. the following month. It was that good. But that was an unpredictable comet. Uh, the Halley's Comet's been trapped in the solar system now, and it goes around a long cigar-shaped orbit. And this is what's happening at this time of year, around May the 5th, every year. The Halley's Comet's been around the sun so often that it's now spread dust 
all around its entire orbit, not just where it is in its orbit. So there's really this huge cigar-shaped cloud of debris sitting out there in space. And around May the 5th, when we get to this part of our orbit, we plough through it. Hmm. And that's why we get five or six times more shooting stars than normal. Okay, so we what what's happening to to us tonight is our orbit is bringing us into Halley's orbit, even though we don't see Halley itself. We, we go in into the if you like, we're, we're in their dust. We're in Halley's dust. Exactly. If, if the Halley's comet was a new comet that got trapped in the solar system in, in the last seventy six years, for instance, there'd only be dust near the comet itself. But it's been around the sun probably thousands of times. So it's been doing this for hundreds of thousands of years. And now it's spread dust everywhere. So not just where the comet is, all around this 76-year-long orbit. And if you could imagine the two in space, remember it's in 3D as well, so both orbits are tilted relative to each other. Mm. And our orbit is roughly circular. Halley's comet's orbit is roughly cigar-shaped. So it's quite complicated. But the simple fact is that around the 5th of May, we plough through this cloud of debris and it increases the number of meteors that, mm. that we see. So why can we see them then, David? What's, what's the interaction between our atmosphere and Halley's mm-hmm. dust, as it were? Yeah, well, the closing speed is about 66 kilometres per second. So you know, you'd go north-south on this island in about what, four or five seconds. So it's a phenomenal speed. We're going around the sun at over 100,000 kilometres per hour, even now as we speak. So when the, when the two collide, the friction is enough that it vaporizes the, the tiny piece of dust. It's only the size of a grain of sand. It's roughly 100 kilometers up in the air. And we can see that from the ground. So you can imagine how bright it really is if you're standing right next to it. So they're, they're quite ferocious events for a fraction of a second. Mm. Uh, and that's all over that piece of dust. It's now part, it settles onto the earth. We're picking up thousands of tons of, of this debris mm. in space every year. So, if I stand out tonight, I have a, a south-facing back garden. So, if I sit out in my back garden tonight, what time should it be out there and what can I expect to see and where? Well, here's the only problem. It's best seen this particular shower in the southern hemisphere or certainly around the equator. But we can see it up here in Ireland. The problem is we have to wait till about 3 o'clock in the morning. And, and that's when we'll be catching the meteors. On the, we'll be on the same side as the Earth as the little bits of dust are, so we plough into them that way. And we've only got then until just after four o'clock when the sky starts to brighten up in the morning. So you've got this narrow window of about three to four in the morning where they're ideal to see. There are better shooting star showers in the year. There's a fantastic one in August, the 30th, another great one in December called the Geminids. Mm. And the Eta Aquarids, as these ones are called, uh, because that's where... That's the name of a star where the tracks appear to point back to. That's rising in the east around 3 o'clock in the morning. And you don't need to look in the east. You can look anywhere in the sky, but the tracks will point back to the east. I see. So if I get a good clear night, just stand out and I'll see them. Look to where the sun would come up, effectively. Well, look anywhere in the sky. So if you've got some clouds, look in the clear patches. I was trying to do that myself this morning. Unfortunately, clear patches got smaller and smaller. It started raining on me, typical Irish weather. But tonight is slightly better. Uh, this, this shower, the, this cloud of debris is actually very broad. So it takes us several days to plough through it. And some meteor showers are very quick. They're over in a few hours. This one, you probably get the same rate set for two or three nights. Tonight is technically the peak. So last night shouldn't have been too bad. And tomorrow night won't be too bad either. Uh, so if you like getting up early, 
what we're asking people is to count how many you see every 15 minutes. Because that's how we know this shower is reasonably strong, because the general public count it, not scientists. Mm. So these counts are actually very valuable and send them in. We'll publish them in Astronomy Ireland magazine the following month. And I take it if people get good photographs, you'd love to see them. Oh, yeah. They're quite tricky to photograph uh, because you have to make quite long exposures with very sensitive settings. Mm. And cameras don't pick up shooting stars as well as the human eye. The human eye is a remarkable device. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, human eye is seeing a huge chunk of sky, nearly half the sky. Try to tilt your head back. No sense having trees or buildings in the lower half of your vision. Tilt your head back a bit further and there'll be a bit of sky there, which increases your chance of picking up more meteors. Excellent. Uh, so... Um, you know, just count them with the naked eye. If you, if you do have the equipment to photograph them, all the better. We'd love to publish pictures like that. And where would and we send the pictures website, if we got them? Yeah, if you go to our website, astronomy.ie, I'll tell you a bit more about the shower and where to send them. The email address is basically magazine at astronomy.ie. So all we really want people to do is say, uh, 3 to 3.15, I saw 3.7, whatever it is, 3.15 to 3.30, I saw whatever you saw then, and things like that, and averaged over the whole island. Mm. You get lovely shared skies. And it's actually, actually very scientifically valuable, as well as mm. seeing your, your reports report, re- recorded. Uh, they'll be filed in the National Library of Ireland for all time then. So a little bit of extra thrill to know your efforts went, went but didn't go unnoticed. Okay. David, always good to catch up with Astronomy Ireland. Fascinating things that are in our skies and our atmosphere. Tonight, we're looking at the dust of Halley's Comet. Now, between three o'clock and a quarter past three in the morning, I will probably be very much embedded in the land of Nod. But if you fancy getting up and going out to coffee and just sitting there and having a look at a clear patch of sky, do enjoy. And if you get a picture... Send it to them. 1850-715-996. Just some more of the things that, you know, you should have been taught in school, but you weren't. We should be taught coping skills because all of us face a crisis in our lives. Say, my own was when my baby passed on. I'm sorry to hear that. And I was a young mum and it was like being hit by a truck. Uh, Handwriting, says Hannah. I'm ashamed of my handwriting. We kind of are taught handwriting in school still, I thought, Hannah. Mind maps. I keep seeing how useful they're supposed to be. Haven't glimmer how to make or to use them. Ah, yes, Tony. I had a, he, he only passed away, God, a few months ago. The great Jim Kremen uh, was a teacher in Clarge de in my time, and he was a master of the mind map. He, he had studied them. He'd come across them in his time learning to teach, and he did everything on mind maps and taught us how to do brilliant, absolutely brilliant things. Uh, Wish I was taught how to not trust people in politics, especially when it comes to Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil, says another mention. Uh, Owen says, how to resolve disputes and arguments while keeping cool, how to understand it's okay for your ideas and suggestions not to be correct, and simply accept it and move on. The difference between an opinion and a fact. But, says Owen, if you think COVID is a hoax, well, that's not an opinion. That's just not being able to understand junior cert science. How to ask for strength when you need, help when you need it, sorry, and understand it's a sign of strength, both in business and in life. And uh, Viv, Buenos, Viv in Madrid. Whilst I think I got a very well-rounded education, of course, Viv from Cork, here's a few things I'd love to have learned. Self-defence, road safety, driving lessons, first aid, basic DIY, and being able to budget 
money and basic accounting skills. There's more of them. If you think there's something that you should have been taught in school that you weren't, we're looking for them this morning. 083 396 96 96. Jim is driving from the Angler's Rest into town all the way out to Tivoli. 15 sets of traffic lights all off. What is going on? 1857 15996. Can we just talk? The opinion line on Corks 96 FM. With Dairy Made Premium Spread. 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork Cream. The drama is sensational. That's 80. Oh, he's done it. It's an equaliser. It's stoppage time. And it's all right here. Greenish for seven. Join me, Trevor Welch, on 96fm.ie for the Premier League Live online, powered by TalkSport. Go, go. Join us Saturdays as we bring you pre-match analysis with some of the biggest names in the game. Live commentary, exclusive interviews, and don't miss the post-match breakdowns. Go, go. The Premier League Live Online. With Now. Stream all the action from Sky Sports with a Now Sports membership. Go, go. Listen every Saturday on the Cork's 96FM app or see 96FM.ie. Yeah, handwriting. They're not taught it the way we were taught it. Thanks for that, Fergal, just clarifying. It's not taught the way we were taught it anymore. Remember, I remember you used to get, you'd get the teacher would, would write out a line at the top of your copy and you'd have to copy it all the way down and you learned how to write and you learned how to form your letters and write your... Yeah, they don't do it that way anymore, which is why... I mean, now, look, my handwriting has gone to pot at this stage, but I remember being taught it that way. They don't learn it that way anymore uh, the Tony Buzan was the man who invented mind maps thank you for that 1850 now they're listening to us out at MTU uh, Munster Technological University uh, they're listening at the moment Aaron McCarthy and heard the topic of teaching financial skills and mortgages etc here at MTU we've started an initiative this year to help give financial literacy skills to secondary schools We started with local schools in Bishopstown. Topics like the tax system, budgeting, online shopping. So far, the students seem to be really enjoying it. Kayla thinks we should learn how a car works. Not just full-on mechanics, but just the very basic stuff of how a car works. I mentioned earlier on, I think everyone should do home economics. Every kid. PJ, yes, in theory, every child should do home economics. But in reality, my son is doing it and has only cooked in school about six times in the past two years. So maybe you should say every child should learn to cook in school. Thanks, Deborah, for that one. There's loads of these. Time for a few more of them. If there's something that you didn't learn in school and you think you should be able to learn in school, like we mentioned this program in Argentina where they actually specifically focus on sort of life skills, sort of making big decisions or planning for big things that'll happen in your life. They do them in little modules in school in Argentina and it's a nice idea it just came from all our discussions on education this week talking with Don from the Life Centre this morning and talking yesterday about the the alternatives in education just we throw that one out there to and you're loving it and wait 3 396 96 96 is anything you didn't learn in school that you would love to have learned in school maybe you could learn how to convert your garden into a home cinema Angela Lee is in y'all. Angela, it's fantastic. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? It's brilliant. 
Oh, thank you so much. As as someone who loves being out and doing stuff in the garden and having a nice place to sit out and spend time, it's a wonderful job. And the before and after photos are amazing. So where did you get oh, the idea? Um, well, I'm constantly on Pinterest. So I saw an, um, a picture on Pinterest of a fireplace with the kind of a home cinema. Right. So I showed it to a neighbour of ours who was a fantastic builder. So he did it all for me. He was brilliant. Right. Pinterest, so, Pinterest, an awful lot of men cringe at the mention of Pinterest because Pinterest yeah. generally ends up costing them money <laughs> when the yeah. ideas come in. <laughs> yes, yes. You don't, have an, you don't have an enormous garden, but you've made it look really big no, with this. Yeah, no, we don't. We're, we're living in um, just a regular, normal housing estate. So we would have just a normal sized back garden. So we plumped it right in the centre so that we could have, you know, we could make a seating area near enough it. Mm. You know, make a nice little area. <clears throat> and behind it, then we have a, a hot tub area. So yeah. it's perfect. Did you use pallets? Yes. I think I can. Is there a table there that's made out of pallets? There is, there is. And the seating area is made out of pallets. Um, my husband and my son yeah. made them for me. Like, I, like again, I saw it on Pinterest. I showed them the pictures. Yeah. And mind you, the husband was very hesitant because he said, I'm not sitting on pallets out the back. But when, when you put them together it, and you throw yes. a few cushions on top of them, should oh, they're grand. They're perfect. They're perfect. And, you know, they're tied to the wall and they're... <clears throat> They covered it in completely yeah. all around the sides and the back, so it's yeah. not going anywhere. There's anytime. loads of people doing work with pallets now because you can pick them up. You pick them there up is. cheap yeah, enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And actually, we got ours for free because there's a lot of people just, you know, get stuff delivered on them and they're left in their garden. So, you mm. know, if you look around, you will get some for free. No, and it's fine. Just paint them up and they're the job. Brilliant. Have you had it? Now, the, the movie is, it's a projector connected to your projector. your sky, yes, is it? Yes, yes. Um, we bought it on Amazon last year. It was cheap as chips. It was like 30 euro. Right. Um, and the screen that came with it was like, for all it's worth, it was like a sheet for a yeah. bed. So it was ridiculous. You put it up out the back and if the wings That's or anything, you know, you couldn't away. see anything. Yeah. So um, we came up with the idea to get a blackout blind made from a blind company and it's fine and heavy and we can leave clips up so we can take it out and put it up when we want it and right. put it back into the shed when we don't need it. Oh, grand. So and it's then, a kind of a heavy and you, you put it up, you clip it in, you pull it down, it bolt yeah. it down. Yeah, that's it. And you can clip it out. You know, you don't have to leave it out. You can put it back into your shed when you're not using it. Take it out. And then the actual projector itself um, is relatively small and we have SkyGo. So we take the skybox out the back with us and we just connect it with a HDMI cable and we have all our sky channels, our Netflix, our whatever. Uh, it's brilliant for the kids. It's handy. brilliant for the kids. Have you the neighbours hanging over the back wall? I, the I, I actually have them all in the garden. <laughs> I invite them in. <laughs> so that way they like that they can they can enjoy it as well. Yeah. You know, I, I guess one unfortunate aspect of our climate in this country is that we can't do as much outdoor living as we'd like to do. Like, what no, like, if no. we got a nice warm summer? I don't think you'd ever leave that garden. No, like we we had the projector up last year, but like we didn't have the fire or anything like that last year, and we did use it a lot in mm. late evenings. Yeah, you know, but like 
initially when we did the seating area and the fireplace, we hadn't intended on covering it in, but we're mm. going to do a pergola now just so that we can get the full use of it. Oh, you've been watching you've been watching Dermot Bannon, his fascination I with have, pergolas. Yes. <laughs> he'd put yes, he put a, he'd put a pergola anywhere he can put one <laughs> these would, days. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me about the fireplace because that's a bit of a job. Yeah, that was. Um, no, it wasn't a very big job. You know, as I said, like, we have a fantastic neighbour in our estate, uh, Kevin Hogan. I'm giving him a shout out. He's brilliant. He can do anything. Mm. He's, a, you know, he's a genuinely nice guy. So I showed him an idea of what I wanted. And he was kind of saying, well, you can't do this and you can't do this. You can do this. And it has to be this size and you have to have this. And, you know, mm. so he put me on the right track. So he came back then with a, a drawing of exactly what he did, mm. you know. So could you, and he, could, could you maybe barbecue a few steaks in there? You could, and you could actually fit them. Um, you can throw slot in a pizza oven on top of the fire when it's lighting you, because there's two little things at the side, so you can actually yeah. put your pizza in, in as well if you want. You could do it with it, I suppose, really. No, I was going through your Instagram, and and it's fabulous. But but <laughs> a lot of people would be listening and say, "Chris, I'd love to do that, but I wouldn't know where to start." Um, like all I can say is, like you know. To decide them what you want and approach a builder and just tell them what you want and see. I mean, it, it, it all comes down to the money as well. Yeah, did it cost you much? Um, to be honest, like we had we had some drainage issues in our back garden as well, so we had to get some drains put in, mm. so including getting the drains put in, and we had a wall that was practically falling down, so that had to be fixed. So between the wall being fixed and the drains and the fireplace, it was like two grand. That's you know, which bad. was very good. That's, that, that, that's an that's incredible a holiday, you know, It is, yeah. and given yeah. that we'll be spending more time in our gardens exactly. again this summer. Exactly. Yeah, know? that and was the whole idea, yeah. Do you get, do you get the sunshine in that corner yes, during the I day? South, yes, I have a south-facing house. Oh, I'm very lucky, so I have the brilliant. sun all day. So it is, it's a sun track, so it's absolutely fantastic. And then in the evening, of course, the sun has warmed it up and you just sit and watch exactly. a movie. Exactly. And I mean, like when the fire is lighting, I mean, you wouldn't be lighting a huge fire anyway. It's not as if you're trying to heat a whole house or a sitting room. You just want something to sit in front of, so mm. you wouldn't be lighting a huge fire. Was it on you your know, Instagram? So did, did, do you have that or do you just, did you just put up, it's a beer, a, like a beer bucket. Did Which I see that I? on your Instagram? It's like a big beer bucket, like this big, like a big ice bucket and you just throw everything into it. Is that yours or did you just spot it on Pinterest? I just thought of that on Pinterest. <laughs> <laughs> That's the next project, is it? Get the beer bucket in. I open the pallet yes. table and get the beer <laughs> bucket. <laughs> oh, no, sorry. That's my own idea. That was my own. That's actually a beer bucket that you can buy, that you can fill it with the beer and you throw it in. Lovely. And a few yeah. burgers going up in the bar. Ah, listen to me. Exactly. I, I, exactly. I don't have your address, which is a good job because I'd be down to you. Um, yes. It's brilliant, Angela. Well done. Thank you very much. Thank Fantastic. You so much. And Thanks just let me. people know where your Instagram is. Where can they find, where can they find it? It's uh, my homely home. My homely it's home. On Instagram, yeah. All right, good. Lovely to look at it and talk to you, Angela Lee. In uh, in your brilliant, it's she got a cinema in the back garden and a fireplace, and you can cook in it. And ask oh, great. And there's a before and after photograph, and you just would not believe it. My home underscore Lee L E E underscore home. My home underscore Lee underscore home, and the whole thing is there on her Insta. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Dairy Made Premium Spread, 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork Cream. Can we just talk?
The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850 715 996. On Cork's 96 FM. Now you kind of want to get to know this song over the next couple of weeks. This one. Why would I want to get to know that, PJ? Because of this. It's that time of year again. Eurovision time. Now, last year it didn't happen, but this year it's going to happen. That song I played for you is Leslie Roy and Maps, which is the Irish entry. Ken O'Sullivan, good morning. Good morning, PJ. Isn't it nice to have a Eurovision back again? Because we missed it so much last year. We did, um, but in, in your own personal view, you're even more gutted that you can't be there. Indeed, because I, uh, because I, for a long, long time I've been um, holding out and keeping my fingers crossed for a Dutch victory because I've always wanted to go to a Eurovision in the Netherlands and uh, especially uh, when uh, when Duncan Lawrence won it in 2019, I was I was uh, I was as happy for a Dutch victory as I would have been, say, for an Irish victory because it meant that uh, a week in uh, in the Netherlands at some at some nice venue. It's a country that I've always loved and I'm a regular visitor there, so I was looking forward to that. And then it didn't happen. And then this year. It's not happening for me personally because, well, it's, it's going to be difficult to get there. They're only accrediting 500 journalists and I decided to not throw my hat in the ring for that because it just wouldn't be the same. It's just, it, it's not a full contest. How many have you been to, Ken? Oh, uh, seven or eight. Yeah. Thing. All the Irish ones, obviously, and a couple of foreign ones as well. Yeah. So, uh, so it, 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 it's one of ours wants to go to. Now, having said that, um, I said I'd, I've been out of the loop for, for a long, long time, but, but I said I'd come back and uh, I'd go to another Eurovision if it was ever held in either the Netherlands or Malta. Now, mm. it hasn't happened in the Netherlands, and statistically it won't happen for another while yet, but uh, Malta, actually, this year, uh, have a, a fairly decent chance. Mm-hmm. So my luck could be in next year if all the COVID restrictions are lifted and I can, yeah. I can go back to the contest. Speaking of COVID restrictions, it's, it's cha- it is happening this year, but it's changed the way that it's happening. So explain that for us. Oh, definitely, yeah, because, uh, well, for, first of all, there was, uh, there was all sorts of scares that, that they'd have to have the performers performing uh, from, from uh, distant locations, from their own countries, and uh, basically submitting videos or even live presentations from their own home countries. And in fact, that's how Australia are performing this year. A lady called Montaigne is singing a song called Technicolor, and she's, uh, she was originally chosen to represent Australia last year, and uh, she's, uh, she was given a, a chance to, to come back again this year and, uh, and actually compete. But she won't actually be in Rotterdam, and she'll be performing from Australia. And a few other countries are doing much the same sort of thing. Mm. But, um, but thankfully, um, uh, most will actually be in Rotterdam, and there will be an audience, mm. not... 
the massive audiences that we've come to expect and to know and love uh, at Eurovision. But uh, there will be an audience. There'll be, there'll be three thousand five hundred people uh, in the in the audience on on final night on the twenty second of May. Now Leslie Roy is our entrant as she was last year, but she can't. The the song I thought last year's song was very strong, but she never got to perform it. Why does she have to have a whole new song? This year. Well, this is because uh, of the publication rules, and in fact, it's one of the reasons why, uh, why why Belarus were disqualified. Because Belarus were supposed to be in this year's contest, but they they, they broke the rules in terms of uh, of the song that they, they submitted, and it's it's all to do with um, the publication of the song. The rules are very very strict that you can only actually have a new original song that hasn't been performed or published before. And unfortunately, by the time they got around to cancelling last year's Eurovision, all the songs that had been submitted were registered as being from 2020. So so right. they, they couldn't uh, compete again. I mean, that's very, Does that very mean it's not supposed to be released until a certain time? Is that it? Yeah, it's, it's to do with that. Yeah, but because that, that was particularly unfortunate for Iceland last year. Because, yes, uh, the, the guy singing for Iceland, uh, I think his name was pronounced Daddy. Um, <laughs> that, that, that's that's uh, that's up for debate. That was a good was, tune, actually. Lance. It was outstanding, and it was it was well regarded as uh, possibly the favourite and the runaway favourite for the contest last year. And uh, Iceland would have been um, celebrating their very very first yeah. ever Eurovision win. It didn't happen unfortunately because of the cancellation but they have brought that back the same artist and his uh, his song this year is very very strong as well and uh, it must be it must be regarded as a, as a, certainly one to want to be considered it's called 10 years and that's not bad either but uh, but I I don't think it's going to win it's certainly not as strong as last year's song looking uh, at the prospects of, of Leslie Roy getting out of her semi-final if you read the various blogs around the place there's a lot of there's a lot of fondness out there for maps, but she's in a tough semi-final. She's in a very tough semi-final because there's, there, are, there are a couple of very, very good songs in there. And um, there's 16 songs in the semi-final and you've, you've really only got to get in the top 10. So she, she really only has to finish seventh from bottom to qualify. But even that, I think, is going to be a bit of a stretch. It's not a terrific song. No, I don't think it's as good as last year's song. No, no, it's, it's not. But the thing, is, the thing that actually upsets me most is that, um, that instead of actually choosing um, an Irish songwriting team, they've gone to the the, the, you know, a songwriting mill in Sweden and got four uh, Swedish composers to write the song. Now, I think that, that that's kind of wrong because I think that the song should reflect in some way mm. uh, the, the nationality and the identity of the country. That Mind you, Sweden's kind of good at this racket, you know? Well, well they are, but you know, if, if Sweden keep on churning out songs for every country, I mean, they, they've churned out songs for, for, for countries all over Europe and not always with a great deal of success. Yeah. Uh, I mean, when you consider that Ireland has actually had uh, a couple of songs by Swedish uh, composers over the last few yeah. years, and none of them have qualified. Now, Terry was watching the, the Swedish uh, competition himself yeah. a few weeks ago, and he was telling me there's some great songs in it from Sweden. The, the, the winner, the, the Swede, any one of the top three in the Swedish contest could have won this thing. Well, yeah, but uh, surprisingly, the one that I actually uh, that I fancied least to do well in the Swedish final actually ended up the winner. And there was a couple of uh, some big hitters and previous Eurovision contestants actually in that Swedish final, and um, and there were there were some decent songs in it. But uh, but uh, uh, they won, they won six times. They're they're one behind us, mm-hmm. and they've been sort of on our shoulder for the last you know the last little while. And, you know, and they keep on threatening but I don't think it's going to win this year because yeah. uh, this year's song Heroes is their, is their song just getting back to you know, us I mean being, being the record holders with seven it's been a very very long time and the, the way the thing has gone the way it's voted on the way it's structured the realistic prospects of us ever winning again Ken must be small 
Well, I think that they have to go back to basics and find out what we're good at. Because um, the point I made a little earlier about about the song mills that actually just churn out the same same song. And if you, if, you, if you listened to the songs of this year's contest without actually seeing the actual visual and the and the, and the video presentation and all the choreography and the, the flashing lights and the costumes and everything, if you actually listen to the songs, there's an awful lot of similarities there. Mm. There's it's 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 very difficult to pick out any song with the with a, with a particular identity and that's where the, the fault is I don't have to go back to what we're good at we are darn good at writing fantastic ballads and uh, and, and and getting that professional well, would something like what's another year get a second listen now um, I would like to think that it would because uh, because it would stand out it would it would be it would be unique um, in, in, the, in the field of, of, of the other songs that are competing in it. I mean, there, there are, I don't think there's even one ballad in this year's contest. Mm. There's, there's, there's certainly nothing that actually stands out. So you're looking for something that, that is a little bit different. That'll make uh, the, the jurors or, the, um, or the, the telephone voters kind of say, oh, hang on, that's all right, that's not bad. But, mm. And that's one of the reasons why the, the Icelandic song last year was so strong, because it was so completely different. It was, it was totally unique. And uh, we're looking for something something that would be a little bit different and there's mm. not that much of a difference across the field this year. I wasn't I wasn't aware that John O'Donovan, our regular correspondent, is a Eurovision fan, but he's apparently been going through the songs. There isn't a decent love ballad in there. No, no, there isn't. Well, I was, I was being kind. <laughs> of, the, of, the, of the songs that, that I've heard, I've heard all the songs at this stage, but it's like, uh, of the 39 songs that are in, um, the one that stands out for me is definitely the Maltese one because uh, it's performed by a young girl called Destiny. She's 18 years of age. She, I think she previously won uh, Junior Eurovision and she's got some fantastic stage presence and she's got a great voice and the song is uh, is possibly the, the, the one that will, will appeal to everybody. Mm. So she could have a chance this year. Well, I know something, PJ. A week in the letter next year would certainly appeal. Why wouldn't it just? I'd be there with you, I think. I haven't been to Eurovision in such a long time, PJ. We used to be a regular fixture of these things. <laughs> they could hardly hold, us, hold it without us at one point. Ken, the schedule is what? When are the semis and when is the final? The semi-final, uh, the first semi-final in which Leslie Roy will compete, and, and best of luck to her, by the way, uh, is uh, the, the, the 18th of May, which I think is the, is the step forward. No, this day, this day, no, sorry, this day fortnight, yeah. No, hang on, what's it? Today is Wednesday. Tuesday the 18th is the first semi-final. The second semi-final is on the Thursday the 20th, and the final then will be on, the, on, on Saturday the 22nd. Terry is a bit of a Eurovision buff, and he doesn't agree with you on Malta. I think we'll have to set, set yet one another. <laughs> well, just out of interest, who, who, who does Terry fancy this year? Well, I think, you, I think he likes the Swedish one very much. Okay. Okay. We'll see what happens. Ken, good man. We'll catch up again between now and contest and, and contest time. But we do have to tip the hat to the fact that we are now in officially, Ken O'Sullivan, Eurovision month. Love it or hate it, you can't ignore it. You absolutely cannot ignore it. Just on the subjects that should be taught at school, but aren't. Bernie says compassion should be taught. That life isn't all about me. The Instagram generation is not unique in being self-centred. Every generation had to learn to stop life being about them or competing with the neighbours, says Bernie. Lily, this is a good one. How to say no? I'm always being railroaded into doing things and going to meetings or meetups or some sales thing 
but it's all for other people. And then for other people, again, it's more serious. It's drugs or crime. Learn to say no. Learn the skill of refusing. Because there's many of any, many of us find it difficult to refuse to do something. Something that you know you don't want to do. Yeah, that's a great point, Lily. Do you ever wake up of a Saturday morning or something and say, you know, God, I'm supposed to meet so-and-so now. I don't want, I really have no mind for this. I don't know why I agreed to it. You know? But we do that all the time, to be nice. Instead of saying when they say, actually, I'm sorry, it doesn't suit me. I can't do it. Sorry. We're not good at that. Good point, Lily. Thanks. Uh, every school CPR, that's right, coping skills. A few more of them. Uh, oh, yeah, this one what I wanted to read out. Andrew says, you've touched on something I'm forever saying. We're not educated for our benefit. We're educated for the benefit of the corporate world. Even in Cork, UCC is being financially backed by a whole host of tech and pharma multinationals. We're sadly mere tools in a continuous production line of talent for such companies until the Leaving Cert is overhauled from being a test of memory to one of intelligence. It's a rather bleak outlook on life, Andrew, but I do see the point. We, we are kind of a factory for, for the big companies of the world. 1850 I'll take one or two more of those if you have them on 083 396 96 96. Something else that's just come through from the newsroom. We covered this a few weeks ago when the primetime programme went out in March. The Department of Health has said there is no evidence that it compiled secret dossiers on autistic children. And this was alleged in the RTE primetime programme back in March. It said it was carried out in cases where parents of the children were involved in legal action against the state. That was the tenet of the programme. The Secretary General of the Department of Health, Robert Watt, says that information held by the department was not collected secretly. That will develop, I suspect, throughout the course of the day. 185715996. As we come out of the pandemic, and you know what? Come out of it, we will. Uh, sooner rather than later, we, we, we hope. A lot of people are going to want to continue to work from home. Uh, or do as much as they can from home. It's just become a nice way to work for a lot of people. But it depends on a few things. And one thing it depends on is having decent access to broadband. Emma, good morning to you. Good morning. Thanks so much for having me on. Happy to do so. Whereabouts are you based for your business? Okay, so I am based in a place called Nakawadra, Rossmoor, and it is seven kilometres out from Clonakilty, West Cork. So, what's your broadband like? Terrible. (laughs) Unfortunately, we're deemed as a black spot, which means that we really can't get anyone to cover us, to give us proper coverage. Mm. We've tried all sorts of um, systems, satellite, mobile, broadband, fixed line. I've even been on to Elon Musk to see if he could uh, trial our area for his satellite system. But basically, our speeds are so poor that it's impacting our capacity to work from home. My capacity to run a wellness business, nursing therapies, and a corporate wellness business work well therapies mm. and also in the neighborhood my neighbor next door leslie cox she runs an art she's an artist and runs an art business and another neighbor up the road jennifer she runs a cleaning business so in a tiny area there are three of us business women who who can't operate our businesses mm. 
our local school children can properly get online. During the, lo- the last lockdown, I had to do an hour round trip to be able to go to my mum so that my kids would actually be able to get onto their seesaw, participate in their school Zooms. Um, it's so weak and unreliable, and it's just been really, really frustrating for us. And where, I mean, Clonakilty itself, uh, having yeah. been down there, Clonakilty has a fairly good broadband setup, so you're only a few kilometres outside. What's the problem? Well, the fact is that it's, you know, Clonacilty is brilliant. And actually, for me to be able to do my online classes, I've used my mobile broadband um, from my phone. Um, I've used a, a closed premises that someone kindly lent me. So Clon is brilliant. And, and you'll find that the towns are brilliant. Like Dunmanway has really strong speeds as well, Skibbereen. Towns and cities, but rural locations tend to be forgotten about. Mm. And the government is rolling out um, a national broadband programme yeah. to facilitate households being able to connect to fibre optics. Now, fibre is the solution to kind of unstable broadband mm. coverage from land. Oh, fibre is the business. How, how far are you from the nearest fibre box? Well, this is the frustrating thing. It's just a kilometre up the road. Right. And I spoke to my neighbours who actually have it installed and they said it's a total game changer that they both work from home for different tech companies and they can get speeds of 40 to 50, which again, you know, John Manway Fibre is 650, so it depends where you are. But even 40, 50 is amazing. And what, have, what have you got, Emma? 0.7. Oh, oh my God. Yeah. So that's, you know, for me to actually give an online consultation, an online class, I need a minimum of 10, 0.7. It's so frustrating. You can't zoom on that, not a whole. You can't, you can't. And as, you know, we started this petition, we started this campaign to expedite the rollout of fibre to our community. And as I've been going around gathering signatures, you know, I've been hearing these stories, and they're so common to rural areas, of, you know, people who've lost jobs because they can't literally, they can't get online for their tech companies. Um, people who can't participate in, in meetings because they have to have the Zoom off and they, it looks as if they're not participating. You know, school kids, I had to bring my kids to my mum's for them to get online. Other kids, they just don't know whether they'll be able to participate or not. Mm. If it doesn't work in the house, I have to go up the hill to do my mobile broadband for, for my kids to be able to just input some information online. It's really ridiculous in mm. the 21st century. You know, there should be no reason why you can't just open up and run your business exactly. anywhere in the country. Because that's what we're being told with more and more people having experienced some working from home. Yeah. If their job is feasible to allow them to do it, they want to continue to do it. But not only that, it, it's actually going to be enshrined in law in September. That's that 20% right. of a working person's life can be worked from home because they've proved that remote working works mm. on so many levels. Um, but again... People in rural locations will suffer from the lack of broadband, you know, lack of proper connectivity. So it's very frustrating. Mm, the, the National Broadband Project is supposed to equip every, ho- every house in the country yeah. with a decent supply. But when is the question, well, says you? Well, this is the thing. And they are actually rolling it out. And as I say, you know, they, they got to within 1K of our house. It's even closer for a lot of my neighbours. And those that actually have it installed find it amazing. But again, we've contacted them. I've contacted them twice. Um, the journalist from the Southern Star who covered us contacted them, and we're not being given an answer. Holly Cairns kindly tabled a question to the to the doll. Again, no clear response. So we're we're being left in limbo. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I think from the sounds of things, you're, you're not alone, as in your yeah. area is one of many, many areas that, that are like that. Emma, thank you very much. I hope it improves you very soon in some way, shape or form. 0.7 of a make in 2021 is just ridiculous. And I speak as someone that we can all work from home if we want to in Coogan Towers. Like we've got 110 makes and we don't know ourselves. But imagine we're trying to run a business out of 0.7 meg in 2021. It's just ridiculous. Utterly, utterly ridiculous. Again, it's one that we'll be watching with interest to see does it improve. And if there's anybody else dealing with that sort of a thing where you're trying to run a business in with lousy broadband, do let us know, won't you? That's it for today. The programme edited by Terry Brennan, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. And we'll see you tomorrow just after nine.